You ever tell yourself that <laughs> you're going to go ahead and lay down for a moment, take a hour nap, then get up and get to work, get some things done, and then you go ahead and uh, hop in your cozy bed, maybe grab your phone like I do, set your alarm for an hour and 15 minutes. You know you got to give yourself that 15-minute buffer to go ahead and get the sleep in, to get to sleep in order for you to um, get that full hour you say you're going to give yourself. But either way, you um, pass out, and then the next minute you know, you're opening your eyes, and it is three and a half hours later. You check your phone like, what the hell? And you see that your alarm didn't go off. What's up with that? Come on. What's up, Apple, iPhone? I swore I set my alarm, but that sucker did not go off. I don't know. Man, I guess I was tired. But that is just what happened. I told myself around (laughs) uh, 7 o'clock or so that, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and uh, put in an hour nap. And boom, before you know it, it's like 11.30. Either way, I hope you guys are great. This is Brent with The Exchanges Podcast in conjunction with the current issues discussion group uh this podcast is dedicated to bringing people together from all walks of life to have interesting intellectual banter and discussion about current events obviously and anything else under the sun i hope you guys have been doing great i know that i'm frosted flakes great i've been pretty busy have some other projects that i'm working on Plus, I have my good old job, so I'm a little bit behind on posting this podcast here. Actually, um, we already had another podcast recording session, and I have to edit that one after this one and post that one soon. So, um, I'm a little bit behind, but I'm a pretty hardworking guy, so I'm pretty sure I'm going to go ahead and catch up really easily. Anyway... What did we talk about on this podcast? Well, this one here is a little bit different. Um, Instead of talking about a current event, we kind of talked about a current theme. And the theme is the modern family. The family in the 21st century in uh, the United States of America, or Western cultures in particular. We talk about a lot of things here. Um, We go into interracial families uh, quite a bit you know, um, experiences growing up in an interracial family and how that affects one's mindset. We go into how families have changed over the generation, you know, how you used to have uh, two or three generations living in a household to today, where maybe you only have a mother and you only have um, a single child. Maybe you lived with your family your entire life or most of it to today, where at 18, boom, you're at the door trying to do your own thing, trying to create your own life. Um, we talk about the a lot on how children are affected by family makeup. Um, we also get into some um, rabbit holes, too. You know, uh, we, we get into um, mental health and um, the effect the pharmaceutical industry, um, at least the pharmaceutical industry in producing... Um, medication that affects the brain and how that's kind of propagated in modern society. Um, We also go into Montessori education. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. I hope I am. But um, it's a fascinating topic. And I am so happy that um, Savannah, 
one of our um, podcast contributors brought it up and uh, turned me on to it. Um, it sounds like a very interesting, um, better education system than uh, definitely what we got going on today in the United States of America. Uh, we get into some other topics too, and um, all of it is very, very good. Uh, I want to go ahead and thank Kyle, Savannah, and Helene for coming out and having this conversation with me. Uh, without you guys, it would just be um, me and I guess in a pizza shop by myself with a microphone recording myself talking. And that would be uh, pretty strange. Might have the police called on me. So uh, thank you guys for contributing to the conversation. And thank you, Savannah and Helene, for coming out as long as you have and um, contributing your voice. I always love what you guys have to say. And it's pretty entertaining. Uh, Kyle. First time coming out to one of our podcast sessions, so we have another perspective from his corner of the universe on here, and uh, man, you sound good on the mic. I have a nice tenor in your voice, and um, you had some amazing things to contribute to, so thank you for coming out. So, is there anything else for me to add? I guess I should say, I don't know, I'm getting a little bit more comfortable with you guys here on the mic. Uh, <laughs> in the past... Uh, couple sessions I've recorded. I'm still kind of getting used to it. It feels strange just talking um, into this microphone to some um, cloudy or ambiguous audience out there that may be listening. It's, it's, uh, it's unique, but um, I'm growing. I'm growing and I'm getting uh, attached to it. I'm starting to really, really like it here. Oh yeah, that's right. I always forget to tell you guys to do this. Please like Subscribe to our YouTube page where we go ahead and post these podcasts. Very, very, very soon we'll be actually taking the podcast to um, the Apple Podcast App Store and to Google Play and um, some other platforms. So you can go ahead and um, listen to it through there on the go while you're driving in your car or you know doing whatever. I can't wait to go ahead and get our sessions up there. Um, you know, kind of spreading our audience. But for now, uh, since you're listening to this on uh, YouTube. And even in the future, if you're listening to this on another platform, please uh, review, subscribe, do whatever you need to go ahead and do to um, help us pump up our listenership and spread this podcast to um, other people. I mean, one of my major goals in this podcast is to um, serve as a beacon of inspiration to um, other people. Maybe they feel like they don't have um, access to intellectual discourse and conversation. Maybe they've been told their entire lives that you never talk about politics, you never talk about religion. Well, you know, here at the Exchanges podcast, we're here to go ahead and say that's bullshit. You can and you should talk about anything. It helps you go ahead and flesh out your own personal beliefs. And at the same time, you take in information from others. And um, it helps you expand your viewpoint. So I hope with these podcast sessions, um, we kind of help people uh, get out of the house, um, maybe get off social media, and um, find some individuals who want to go ahead and talk and have a genuine conversation about how we experience the world. I just feel like maybe that element is being lost in contemporary um, American society. And it needs to come back. And you can do it. doesn't take too much. Get a meetup group. Invite some people to join the meetup group. And then, boom, get yourself a microphone. No, don't. You know, you don't got to go ahead and record it. Just um, sit around, grab some coffee, maybe a couple beers, and um, have some really good conversation. I think it's healthy. I think it's needed, especially in these times. So, without further ado, I 
think that is it. We're going to go ahead and get into the modern family. See you guys on the tail end. organizer to this guy named named Hoon who Ooh, needs we've to never met. who needs to go ahead and uh, show up to um, our group occasionally. Right, have you he, met Hoon? He said he was coming today but then he changed. I know, I know. He often said he's one of those people. He RSVPs and doesn't come. Yeah, I know. He's the organizer. Oh, he did? Look at us. Well, he was yes up until today. We're calling you out, Hoon. Yeah. I hope you go ahead and listen to this. You need to show up to your group. I know you're out there making a lot of money. You know, you you got a you got a family you're taking care of, but relax. Come have a conversation with us. Excuses. I know. I miss you, man. Just kidding. So he thinks he's got more important things to do, like yeah. a job and uh, family. Family. I know. <laughs> Who does he think he is? Oh, so, yeah. Uh, da, 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 da. Let's see here. So, we're, we're repping for Alexandria, Amar, and um, Anna. Maybe she'll get here. And uh, Bexon. Hope to see you next time, Bexon. And uh, Jennifer, sorry I missed you. I was literally like one or two minutes behind her when she at least posted that. So she must have just like pulled out and left soon as I showed up. Like, ah, that sucks. I hate to make people drive all the way out there and then, you know, we're not there and all this type of stuff. But I'm doing my best. I'm doing my best. And plus, um, I picked this topic because it was a bit different, you know, because we're always talking about politics and, uh, you know, we're always uh, talking about kind of, uh, I guess the most current event. I mean, that's the name of the group, duh. But um, I, I was like, I don't know. I, I was sitting around. I was like, what is an interesting topic that people don't talk about too often that I think is important? So I, I decided, yeah, the modern family. Longevity, children, race, divorce, remarriage, all that type of stuff. So I thought we'll go ahead and talk about that. And we'll also go ahead and talk about um, how disappointing I think Irma was. For, uh, at least for us. <laughs> yeah, at for least for us. us. Not to go ahead and minimize anything that's happening in Florida because, you know, those people pretty bad. are in the yeah, Caribbean. It's pretty bad. It's really bad. And again, in the like Caribbean. Destroyed there. islands completely. Exactly. It's still like level four when it hit. Yeah, yeah. five in like um, British Virgin Islands and St. Thomas. Yeah. And yeah. That was a, there was that Ooh. island, Bar- Barbuda. Yeah, never heard yes. of that. I've never Til- heard of it either, <laughs> right? I was like, I was thinking, are, the are they mispronouncing like Barbados? Barbados? <laughs> That's what I was thinking. I was like, no, there's a place called Barbuda. Yeah, Barbuda. it sounds like a mix between like Bermuda, Bermuda and Barbuda. Yeah, Barbados. It's like. But like a question of Asia. No, they got blasted. Right? Yeah, just like I mean, leveled the island. Puerto Rico, right? Puerto Rico got it pretty Who bad. Who got the worst? Think um, those small islands. Yeah, I think those small islands. Yeah. Uh, north of the main chain. That is so sad. Yeah, they. Sh- I saw this picture on um, New York Times where they had Irma, and then they um, showed like in the eye of the hurricane, Barbuda, like right in the middle of it. Yeah, and they're tiny islands. Yeah, I mean, just like the entire island. And that storm was the size huge. Of the eye. That storm was like hundreds of miles oh, wide. It was. 
giant. And what happened to uh, Juan that was behind it? Jose. Was it Jose? Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> You're going to make Jose come and get us. Was it Jose? <laughs> get his name. Last I saw a couple days ago, it kind of like kinda was going in a way. circle and yeah, then it just yeah, was like yeah. sitting there and now okay. I haven't I haven't. I think they're predicting that I'm supposed to, to go back off into the Atlantic. Okay, so we're not worried about yeah, it. Do whatever. But hope not. Because yeah. that's a category four still. Yeah, yeah. So That'd be crazy. So um, three back to back. I mean, how long can you deny it? That could be a whole topic. How long can you deny the climate change? I was going to say right? that could be a whole well, another. The hurricanes weren't caused by climate change, but they were made a lot worse. Yeah. The intensity, yeah. And they said that they would be making climate change would be making hurricanes and such. Right, that's been predicted for a while. Yeah. This is going to happen. So the frequency, what? not but so that's much. Not what they but they said about yeah. right, right. So let's get right back into those politics. I know, man. It's, it's hard. <laughs> I mean, it's, just, it's, it's hard to uh, drag yourself away from yeah. it. There's just well, so why, much going I on. I don't understand what people say. I don't like politics, but like politics. How is do you like not like politics? Else. It's everything. everything. Politics yeah. is just everything it determines your electricity right and your food and <laughs> exactly. your water and exactly. your house and your school like and your everything. <laughs> the roads you drive on. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I never understood that too. Like, um, you know, back in my early college days, I'd go out to the bar and I'd be like, "We're talking about religion." I mean, you know, I. The redneck places I go to. We ain't talking about religion. <laughs> we ain't talking about politics. We ain't doing it. And, and I never understood that. I was like, I mean, those great. are, I mean, it affects almost everything Everyone. in your life. Everything. Yeah, you everything. Know? Everything uh, and everybody. Yeah. Especially with things talk- like this. I'm so used to talking about yeah. it so freely. I was with my friends the other day, and I started talking about Trump, and I think I could feel they were kind of like... Yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I've heard that too where it's like oh politics your political beliefs should be kept private yeah. I'm like, no that's the that worst thing you could you. do because oh that's God. what causes the, the division when, when I grew up I'm a different generation from you guys my parents didn't talk politics with their own children and wouldn't tell us who they were voting for because it was personal really wow it was like a secret yeah it was personal <laughs> well, actually everything was personal not to go off subject yeah. but um, the one time we got a new car we got a we, we didn't have much we got a new Chevrolet Palace station wagon my father told us don't tell anybody cause wow. you know they might think uh-huh. we had money or something yeah. what, I don't I don't even wow. know what he was afraid mm-hmm. people might know yeah, yeah. so and, and then here we They'll are I'm on the house like a horde of zombies or yeah anything. I mean it's just crazy and, and, and uh, we didn't talk about anything and now I Savannah's my daughter okay mm-hmm. Now, and, and I have a son as well, my husband and I, we, we talk, we're like, what the hell did we talk about <laughs> yeah. at the dinner table? We didn't talk politics, we didn't talk religion, we didn't really talk about anything. Oh, and here, oh. we are with our kids, we, we talk about anything <laughs> with yeah, them, yeah. you know? It's just Well, you grew up with very like, how was school? Good, good. They probably didn't even ask that. They didn't ask that? They put Keep that food yourself. on the table and clothes <laughs> on our backs and said, get the hell out wow. of the house, is what they did. Wow. Yeah, I mean, maybe... That's a good lead into a family discussion. Yeah. Yes. Well, it yeah, I, I think so. I mean, m- maybe because in those times, uh, um, things wasn't as integrated. Uh, you know, I mean, the technology that disseminates information wasn't right. as, right. Uh, you know, sophisticated. The world was very small. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. It's like not like they were reading all the things that we we're reading. They just weren't talking about a few guys. Right. Their their world was like right there with you. Yeah. yeah. You know, it was. Just I mean, I their thought everybody their was home. Italian. Oh wow. <laughs> <laughs> everybody, huh? Everybody. <laughs> Long Island. Uh, From Long Island. Yeah, everybody's yeah. Italian. Oh, yeah. I, I was pretty old before I realized oh, yeah. that, you know, there's a lot of other people. And a few Jews. Sprinkled out here. And maybe some Irish people. And maybe a couple Irish on top, yeah. Yeah, I it. lived, um, growing up, 
I lived in uh, Maplewood, New Jersey. Oh. And uh, it's northern Jersey, near the oranges, um, about maybe 40, 45 minutes south of like What does Lincoln that mean, near the oranges? Uh, there's east orange, west orange. Oh, I um, <laughs> Sorry about that. orange trees. Yeah, those are, <laughs> yeah, those are, yeah, those are I'm a, a giant single person. orange tree, like in uh, Game of Thrones or something, <laughs> sat in the middle of New Jersey. <laughs> no, but um, yeah, the oranges, and uh, there was Newark and all that stuff. But anyway, um, it was uh, predominantly... Uh, you know, I mean, it was a pretty mixed area, but there was a lot of Jewish families and a lot of Italian families. Everybody's last name was like you know, Limoncello, Marizucci, <laughs> stuff like that. And uh, there were so many, uh, you know, bagel shops, uh, you know, pizza shops and stuff. Yeah, it was, it was good. It was delicious, too. Um, yeah. Man, that brings up some memories. I, so we lived in a crappy apartment, but it was above... We weren't directly above the pizza shop, but um, it was below us, like a little bit further ways down. And um, and uh, yeah, one of my friends going up this this other this other girl, her, her last she was an Italian fan, but her father owned the pizza shop. So uh, after school, I'll go ahead and hit you. up the pizza shop. <laughs> yep, go ahead and chill. We'll hang out. Go ahead and give us a slice here and there. So uh, yeah, yeah, that's a, it's a whole different world up there. It's funny because so you both grew up in more urban areas. I am from somewhere that's very rural. Um, the city that's closest to where I grew up isn't even where I actually grew up, but that's fifty thousand people. Where I now and back in you know ten years ago it must have been thirty five forty, and it's been growing since. But where I actually lived is my my parents are so like anti people. They wanted to be away from everybody else, so we were out in the country in a place called Hereford, Arizona, which. So the way I just describe it to people is if you go on the back patio of, like, my childhood home and you look south, which is where it was facing, you see the border, like, right there. It's, it's close. It's maybe four or five miles away. So that wow. was, like, a huge influence on sort of the culture of the area. And, of course, Arizona has not a great reputation for how it treats um, immigrants, obviously. You would think, or I used to think, that people who grew up and lived in Arizona, especially in southern Arizona, right near the border, would kind of have a little bit more compassion because right. we, we know what the desert's like. We know what the conditions are like. If you just go, you know, 20, 30 minutes and cross the border into a place called Naco, Arizona, the poverty is crazy. Like, you'd think people would kind of have some heart about that. No. no. So it was it was bad. There were, you know, you've heard of the militias that people formed there where they literally mm. were just citizens who would sit in the back of their pickup trucks with guns and just in camping chairs and just patrol borders Sovereign citizens. Okay, this is news to me. <laughs> it was bad. There's been you know, many cases where you hear the stories, of course, oh, an illegal immigrant has murdered an American citizen, but how many times has the reverse happened? Uh, Just wow. as much. So, yeah. And what was going on before that? Mm, what was the whole... Yeah, and right, so... The backstory. I, I mean, it's interesting because I think back... Um, the whole urban sort of world, just, and I don't mean urban as in like culturally urban, I mean literally like living in a city is so foreign to me still. And I've lived in Tucson, Phoenix, and now Atlanta for the last five or six years, and it's still so weird to me because um, I'm used to that kind of like really? rural, being really rural sort of environment. I mean, we would be at a, at a bus stop, my brother and I, um, and my brother's an interesting person I can tell you about. Uh, he and I would be at the bus stop, and you know, a large group of maybe 20 people would. You, especially, this is more when I was younger. Now it's not like that at all. Now the immigrants are very hidden and they're fearful, obviously, because there's border patrol everywhere. But they would, you know, be walking around and they would come up to us and speak to us, and we would talk to them. And they, you know, sometimes they would come to your door if they were like super desperate. 
they made it um, sort of against the rules to give anybody water or food, which we were like, my family oh. was always like, uh, yeah, no, we're going to give people water and food. Yeah. You'd wake up, it'd be like trash and stuff like out behind your street. Like it was, that's, that's Southern Arizona. So that's kind of the, the, the preface I have to give to talk about anything about my family because my mm-hmm. family is strange. Um, I have a white mom. My dad is black growing up in Southern Arizona near, near the border. So such a weird mix of things that don't make any sense. Mm-hmm. My brother, um, he's my half-brother. We have the same mom, different dads. We grew up together. I have a sister, an older sister, who is a half-sister. Same dad, different moms. We didn't grow up together. Mm-hmm. So if you're talking about the modern family, that's it. That's yeah. what it looks that is like. True. Wow. It's just yeah. You have mixed races. You have um, divorce. Well, my parents got divorced when I was yeah. in high school. Um, you have... Uh, remarriage and step siblings. That's what it looks like now. There is really not very much of this kind of like Mom, father, dad, mother, kids, and two kids family. thing. Yeah. yeah, it doesn't really exist as much. Yeah, yeah. I, I have agree. to ask, why did they choose Southern Arizona? So, because there's many rural places that aren't as like staunchly conservative and like wanting yes. everything. To um, so the thing is, is my mom has lived okay, there since they? she was five. Uh, so I don't really know exactly how her family ended up there. No clue. They just were there. They just settled there for whatever reason. My dad, he is not from there at all. He was born in Texas, but he lived most of his life in Virginia on the East Coast, and that's where all my family lives on his side now. Um, how he ended up there, I, I don't even know that. But the reason that he they stayed is that his job was uh, on Fort Huachuca. So Fort Huachuca is a the only reason, really, that Sierra Vista is where the, the city I talked about. The only reason it really exists is this army base, um, yeah. and it's a huge intelligence uh, center for the army. It's one of like the most important like intelligence bases, and that's that's what drives the city. That's why Sierra Vista exists because you know half the people I ever grew up with were the kids of military people. Right. My dad was not a military person, but he was like a, he worked for a government contractor. So because of that, he worked on base, and that was that was his career. So that's why he was there, um, and that's why we stayed. Did you did you hate it? Like yes. growing up, you really hated absolutely it. Absolutely hated it. I absolutely hated it. And I to this day we kinda have this joke that we talk about Sierra Vista or we call it Sorry Vista because it's it's really it's a retirement community in a military town. That's it. So if you're not any of those two things, it's hard to have any kind of like opportunity there. So we always talk about it, it's very uh, as like a void. If you don't sort of escape that town when you're 18, you'll be there the rest of your life. When did you move east? Uh, When did I move, like here? Yeah. So um, after I finished, after grad school, um, I immediately moved from Sierra Vista to Tucson, which is a little bit of a step up, because Tucson's a bigger city. Tucson's very, very liberal. It's like the main liberal sort of enclave in Arizona. And it's Um, farther north. mm -hmm, About an hour and a half north. So I went there for undergrad, then grad school was in Phoenix, and then, so I've only been here since June. Oh, so, okay, so okay. very recently. You are very recently. So literally it was on the, in the desert for most of my life until now, basically, so. <clears throat> yeah, my, um, my family is very, like, not just the water, thank you, uh, fragmented and in, in kind of just like your family. My, uh, mm-hmm. So I have a stepbrother who is um, 10 years younger than me, um, we share the same mother, but we have a different father. And then I have um, a stepbrother and a stepsister, and uh, they live in Trinidad and Tobago. They're my father's um, you know, two kids. Okay. And um, so my father, he remarried, had two kids, and then he got divorced again. So I think he's single right now. 
<laughs> and, and that's not an advertisement. But uh, <laughs> hey, my dad's aunt uh, is fourth marriage. My mom yeah. is his third. <laughs> my mother's side of the family is 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 a uh, is uh, pretty interesting. My mother, she is half white and half black, and um, my <laughs> it's, it's it's always funny to to see reactions when um. Our family, at least on my mother's side and stuff, gets together. Yeah. Because my grandmother there, she's like blonde haired, blue eyed, and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. so it's pretty, it's pretty gnarly. It's pretty, it's pretty gnarly. People are like, what? No, What's going on exactly here? What are y'all doing? Wow. And um, they live out in uh, Missouri. And uh, so my mother's father, I'm sorry, yeah, my mother's father, I never met him. He died before I was even alive. He like, the story goes, he was like shoveling or something. And he, like, hit his toe, and he refused to go to the doctor to get it checked out. So he got gangrene. Oh, my God. He, just, he just died from shoveling out. and hitting his toe? Yeah, God, that's, 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 that's the story. Yeah. Uh-huh. And um, since then, my um, mother's mother, uh, my grandmother, I mean, we're obviously, I'm talking about them kind of distant because we've never really been close. And uh, But she's since then remarried and, you know, had other kids. I have... Uh, you know, I have one, I have two aunts, and I have an uncle, and um, and from what I understand, my uh, grandmother on that side of the family, since she um, had a kid with a black man, she was thrown out of her family. Oh, wow. <laughs> And so then it got, like, really hard for them. Like, apparently, like, you know, it's hard for them to make money and live. And they had, like, no family support and stuff like that. And they tried to make it together. Then um, my grandfather, he died by, you know, hitting his toe. <laughs> and uh, so not funny. I'm sorry. after that, my mother, um, my, my grandmother had to put my mother up for adoption because she didn't have the finances to take care of her. So then my my mother went to an orphanage in like the East Coast, and then um, things got hairy there. I don't know all the details, but from what my mother tells me, um, then that's when she met my father, because my father was actually he came up to New York, like to work, but you know his entire family is in Trinidad and Tobago, and my mother was like waitressing, and then they met each other, and then they had me. And then um, they separated when I was really young. So, yeah, it's like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, in my, in my mother, she talks about this stuff very matter-of-factly. Like, you know, like, hey, that's just what happened. You know, things didn't work out. And so, you know, I went ahead and moved on. You know what's interesting when you talk about your mom is that it sounds like then for most of her life, she grew up, you know, when you – I'm trying to think. When I saw, like, the statistics that you had posted about mixed-race families and kind of what that means for the, for the kid – a lot of mixed race couples do their kids a really big disservice by not sort of talking to them about what that means because it's a significant yeah. it's a significant sort of identity issue for me especially like I can think growing up when I was younger I remember I came home one time and I was like mom we're Mexican right because we're in Arizona and <laughs> all the other brown kids at school are uh, Mexican yeah. uh-huh. there were like maybe like five black people that I ever encountered through school uh, until I got to high school it's just yeah. it's southern Arizona so you know I was like mom we're Mexican right she was just like no and that was the end of that conversation really we never really my dad never talked about it my dad kind of huh. is a is an interesting character too because he's not very connected to his family um so I am not 
because of that, I'm not very connected to a lot of people on his side of the family. Lately, I've been trying to, now that I'm an adult and can do it on my own, I've been trying to reconnect with, you know, people on that side of my family because I feel completely separated from, you know, knowing I am black and white and other stuff probably thrown in there, knowing I'm completely separated from one side of that makes me very uncomfortable, especially mm. now that I'm sort of, my, my line of work that I was talking to you about earlier in healthcare is about racial health disparities, and I've mm. started to learn about what the lasting effects of, you know, racism and systemic oppression are. I start to, like, feel that and identify with that, and it's weird to not have any family to sort of connect with. Yeah. So you're hearing about your mom where, you know, she lost her dad and then lived with her white mother, right, yeah. for a while and then was put up for adoption. She probably also has a lot of a, a similar feeling because yeah. I don't know if they ever had that conversation or had time right. to have that conversation of like okay let's let's sit down and really talk about what it means for you in this country to have multiracial parents and to be multiracial yourself and to be racially ambiguous I don't know how what her appearance yeah, is but I, you know she you know. um yeah my mother I mean she <laughs> she's white for all intents and purposes she looks she's very much your complexion you know yeah. being mixed and stuff racially ambiguous and, is the uh, word I use and, uh, you know, that was always interesting growing up because, um, you know, for I'm you? obviously a black you, guy. Even? Yeah. Having because you? my mother was extremely fair skinned. So, you know, every time I, I would distinctly remember that, like being in school and um, like my mother would come pick me up and my <laughs> the kids would be like, that is not your mother, dude. No, <laughs> not yes. even buying it. Not even buying yeah. it. I was like, well, what are you You don't look like anybody about? in your family. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Really? I remember as a, as a kid, too, I, I would think these thoughts like, maybe I'm adopted. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. you know, like, like, maybe <laughs> maybe there's something fishy going on around even here. I don't days, know sometimes about. those thoughts kind of come to your head, right? Because you're <laughs> yeah. still just like, I don't look like anybody in my yeah, family. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. So um, that, that's definitely true. And I remember, and those conversations don't happen either. Uh I know my mother and my grandmother, my mother's side of the family, uh, my mother expressed to me that they didn't talk for years, years and years, obviously because of the separation, the whole, you know, giving up for adoption thing too. That was a, that was a big issue. But, um, you know, my mother very much grew up by herself, you know, like really, you know, uh, you know turning herself into the woman that she was meant to be. And she's a real strong woman because of that. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I remember my mother distinctly telling me this story about like this is after, this is like maybe a couple of years or so ago. It's funny when you become adults, you start having those good conversations with your parents, right? You know, like, like let's get to the skinny. What was Over going a couple on? Of drinks. Yeah, 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 yes. yeah, exactly. And so uh, my mother was telling me that like, you know, uh, when I was growing up, you know, I, you know, and, and being in New York and stuff, I, I gravitated more towards black people and stuff, and uh, but black woman like hated me <laughs> because um i was a fair skin you know and you know i was you know, pretty i was pretty and good looking and stuff like that and uh there was definitely this really strong colorism thing that yes. was that was uh going on you know like they couldn't stand me and so my mother had a hard time making friends apparently you know like in, in school and growing up uh, because of that and uh you know that's that's an interesting thing too Is it still like that? I mean, did you experience stuff like that? Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, I, I, like I said earlier, the word I like to use is racially, racial ambiguity, because Mm -hmm. I walk into any situation now, and I can't tell you. I've had a nickel for every time somebody just straight up to my face asked me, "What are you?" I would be well. I would wouldn't care about not having a job right now. It's crazy. I had teachers ask me, all kinds of people throughout my life, even to this day. What are you? 
what are you? And I, I that question always is like, wait, what? Like, what do you what do you mean? Like, what, yeah. you need to be more specific. Like, what race am I? A teacher did was specific once. He was like, what race are you? And I still, I'm still just like, well, what am I supposed to say? Like, if I give you the truth, are you gonna what change your opinion you? of me? Yeah. yeah. Like, why do you? Yeah. Why are you why asking? You? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, still to this day, and it's it's just being someone who looks racially ambiguous, but knowing what your makeup is is difficult because you obviously don't look white to people. You don't look black to people. You don't look Hispanic or Middle Eastern or Asian, anything. Yeah. You don't look like anything. So everyone is just kind of like, they don't know what to think and they sort of just You can't just be a guy. Be. No, you can't. Definitely not. Yeah. They want to know. They want to put you in a box yeah. for sure. I mean, and so it is strange to be asked that question and you're just like, I don't really know how to respond because if I respond a certain way, are you going to like, Right, think yeah. something differently like what do you why are you asking me that like what's the <laughs> I arrived here like the Terminator or like in a ball of electricity I just showed up from yeah. uh, another dimension right but I, I was clothes. never I was never given the tools <laughs> by my parents to yeah. answer that question so you said you never had that conversation you came home from school and said am I Mexican how old were you probably five or six Okay, so you were young. Okay, mm-hmm. I'm thinking you were even older than that. Mm-mm. I was very aware of something about me being different. You, you can go back to um, yearbooks that I've had where there was another, I remember there was another girl in my class that we were good friends because she was brown too, mm. and she was also racially ambiguous. I, till to this day, I don't know what her racial makeup is, but her and I were like this because we were like, I remember writing somewhere like on our shirt or something, it was like, we both have brown skin and brown hair and brown eyes, and that was like a big deal for us. Mm. And so I was aware of it at a very young age that there was something that was different about me I just didn't know what I was always like oh I have tan skin that was always like kind of the the words I used to describe I'm, it I'm a tan guy and I would look at my dad and be like okay well I still don't really you look at my dad even and mm-hmm. you're, he's a little bit like there's something that you wouldn't be able to kind of put your finger on with him but then you see he and I in the context of our entire family of his side of the family and you're like, well, yeah, they're black folk, mm-hmm. like, obviously. So you were a kid, and when you saw your father's family, you saw black people. Yeah. And then you saw your mother's family, and you saw white All people. All white, very, like, rural white people. Like. And so you didn't say, well, I'm just half and half. You just didn't feel like I never really, family. yeah, exactly. I never really kind of figured out that I was either or. I felt like neither. Neither. And to this day, I still, I mean, I'm 23 now, and I still feel like a little kid when it comes to that kind of stuff, because I still don't know where that puts me in society because it doesn't that's the thing about being mixed race is there is no such thing as a mixed race community if you think about it because being mixed race is such a huge term you could be black and white black mm-hmm. and hispanic anything you could be a mixture of anything you can be black and hispanic so there is no such thing as like this community of mixed race people that are somehow like friends with each other who can kind of have a community the same way that black people or white people or whatever any other kind of race can make a community so because of that you're like in between like a limbo. Mm-hmm. That's exactly Very how I can describe my, my racial identity is in limbo, which has its own host of downstream problems in terms of, you know, having anxiety and things like that. It, it leads to some issues because you're just, you don't know where you fit in in society, especially in this country, especially now. I mean, there's no, no, you know, it's obvious that we live in a time now where... now is better. I'm thinking things have gotten better. Yeah, and I... I well, isn't it weird, though, how, like, as, I would as argue people, no. we always search for, like, some type of subgroup or something to identify yeah. with? Isn't that really interesting? It is, you and know, I think that, that's um, part of human nature. Yeah, is that uh, there's, there's that endless search. But at the same time, like, you know, the, the ideology or the, you know, 
at least the messaging out of the United States is that you know uh, this is the melting pot, the great melting pot where those yeah those um those cultures and identities um, shouldn't matter as much as maybe your national identity Mm -hmm. or so. And that's definitely not We even hear that from, like, you know, uh, uh, good old Donald Trump, our boy, right? Like, we're all Americans at the end of the day. (laughs) We are all Americans, no matter... We all bleed red. Like, that's that's the, you know, national, like, message that is out there, I think, that comes from the right side of politics is that you know maybe that your 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 cultural and your you know the, your ethnic identity is is something that that should be wiped clean or maybe doesn't matter at all i like you the know. metaphor of america as a mosaic I've, yeah. I've heard before because the melting pot makes it sound like we're all just going to blend together and we're all the same and that's not true that's a good point yeah it's not yeah because your, nice. your identity is important and all together that's what makes it interesting it's mm-hmm. a lot better than everyone just being the same right Everybody just being a mixed gray kind of thing. Well, this is interesting because, you know, I've been known to, um, you know, you see those Ancestry.com commercials, and they make a big deal out of, you know, oh, I found out I'm this or that. And I have to be honest with you, you change my way of thinking. Because I'll turn to my son and go, I don't care where the hell I came from. (laughs) You know, I'm I'm me. This is me. And I'm like, wow, well, you know, maybe a lot of me is my family, my culture, and what came well, before because me. Well, because you were very certain, and you knew you were Italian, and people didn't look at you and kind of be like, well, what? Yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying. I'm, I'm, I've yeah. already yeah. learned a lot. You sure yeah. you're not German? You don't know German, Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, and my dad's not here, but he even says that he doesn't feel like he fits in in the South as much, because yeah. in New York, New York Jews, lots of New York Jews, but here he's like still Jewish, still even like New York, and he says he doesn't quite, you know, and, and he's, he's another he's, but thing. He has a very I mean, strong, like, identity with, you know, in that way. With yeah. New York, too. But at Jewish as a culture, not as a religion. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he basically has no religion. He's, yeah. He yeah. doesn't even like the Jewish faith. But he's totally a Jew. Ethnically. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's real, definitely up north in, like, you know, northeastern, like, you know, New York, New Jersey, and stuff up the there. neighborhoods are where, just... Where there's a... Yeah. What people do represent, like, uh, you know, yes. their their background. It's not just some ambiguous white. There's, like, you know, yeah, I'm Italian. I'm, you know, um, I'm, I'm, I'm Jewish, or, you know, I'm German, or, um, you know, I'm, I'm Irish and stuff. That's one thing I noticed when I was growing up in New Jersey is that... Um, like those <laughs> distinct identities were there, mm-hmm. even as kids, and people were like, "Yeah, that's me. That's who I am." Mm-hmm. But down here in the South, man, no, it's just <laughs> it's a crayon box with like three crayons in it, and that's it. You know, <laughs> that's, pick pick your team. You know, and uh, well, there's always those folks who claim that there's what like a one thirteenth Cherokee. Oh. Yeah, yeah, there's those folks. Wait, so that's always that, the thing. Where did that come from? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah, where did that come from, though? That is huge in, so like, the, the South. Distinctions, the, the distinctions here are pretty much, like, white, black, or other. Pretty much. Pretty, well, white, black, or Mexican. Distinctly. And they say Mexican, yeah. yeah. Distinctly Mexican. There's, like... Which could be anybody <laughs> from South <laughs> Central there's, America. There's, yeah, there's no, uh, yeah, there's no South America. There's no Central America. There's just, just Mexican. Mexican. Yeah. So that's, that's what it comes yeah. down to. And, uh... There's, there's folks who claim themselves to be like Native American. Like, there's one part of Native American. Yeah, or have y'all heard that? Am well, I the only person who's heard that? I know. My husband made fun of it. I have a, a, somebody who was close to me, yeah. near and dear to me. When I first met her, she told me she was um, American Indian. Mm-hmm. And my husband, when he met her, he said, She's black. <laughs> but, but I was like, you know, well, it, it also depends. 
Like, what percentage was it? I don't know, but because really? Her skin is more red than but anything. But it also, it could have been a small percentage or a large percentage, but it matters more, like, maybe she grew up on or near a reservation. She says she did. did. But, but so no, my husband be never like believed the word she half, said. Because but she <laughs> was so involved. Grew up culturally, you know. Uh, or she might be, like, 90%, yeah, yeah. but she still grew up in, like, Atlanta. Like, if, so is that okay. a thing? I think it's a thing. Like, I, I, I've heard it in... Um, I think it's more of a southern thing because I think it is too because Arizona is a lot different. Yeah, I, I heard it in I've, I've heard it in black communities, and uh, in the south especially where <laughs> there's somebody there's some somebody's aunt or uncle who's like, yeah, I got like one thirteenth Cherokee in me, you know. You're like, what? <laughs> like, where'd you hear that from? Who told? Like, let me go ahead and see your um, so you know, your stat block on that. So they try to identify as black. Well, no, they try to identify as partially Native American. You know, it's like the black identity is there, and that's cool. But it's always just like I'm also I'm I'm unique as in I'm partially oh, Native American or something like that. Really cool. But I've also heard it that's, in um in like yeah. you know white Southern families too. People say part. like yeah I'm mm-hmm. I'm one part you know Cherokee too. Yeah. You know and like so I think that's like a distinctly like Southern thing of people trying to uh, trying well, to go ahead and co-op that. I don't know what it is. That's yeah. maybe that they would. Well, it's like, I'm not, I'm not all white. I have some of this in me. So well, yeah, that, that, that makes me understand. This whole idea about this yeah. idea of, like, white guilt and white privilege. And, you know, yeah. people, right. when you call out white privilege, they become guilty. And they're like, well, I'm, well, I'm not racist. I don't see color. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. like, my mom my mom is that person. Yeah. But, um, you know, it, it's interesting because it's much different in Arizona. And I, I want to think some of the reasons why, it, when you think about sort of how, like, colonial America started, there was racial mixing from the get-go with between whites and Indians, between black slaves and Indians, between black slaves and mm. white people. There was racial mixing from the very beginning of American time here. But when you think about Arizona, so me growing up, the American Indians or Native Americans that live in Arizona very, not exclusively, but a, most of them, I would say, live on reservations. A lot of Arizona's land is reservation. There's, like... I don't know, like hundreds of different tribal affiliations in Arizona, obviously, because mm-hmm. the Southwest is a huge sort of well-known area for um, American Indian culture. And mm-hmm. so because of that, I can't recall really growing up with anybody who was Native American at all. There were maybe like a couple that I remember, but they were like 100%. You know what I mean? Like there was no mixing in their yeah. family. It was almost completely like I am from the reservation Native American, like 100%. We don't have any white mixing in our family, none of that. Um, and I feel like if your family has this long tradition of living on a reservation, which we could talk about how just awful that is in general. Um, That's another thing. Yeah, right. especially yeah, in Arizona. Especially, stories, you know, yeah. the Navajo Nation is the big one in Arizona, and there's major, major, major health problems and things like that that go back to um, the forced Indian schools and the abuse. And That's a good topic. Yeah, it's not is. current, but it is. I think so. It matters. Yeah. It's still kind of current in some ways. Yeah. But, I mean, it's just different there because it wasn't... I mean, there were people who... I'm just trying to think of like any other mixed-race people I ever knew at all. I didn't feel that way. I felt like there was pretty strong racial divisions, too, but... Hmm. Well, you until know, I got to college, then, like, like, then again, I was living in a rural place, mm-hmm. and that where made did things you go a lot different. U of A, University of Arizona, is where I went to undergrad, and then I went to Arizona State for grad school. Those are so, huge, right? Those are huge yeah. schools. ASU was like the like lo- that's ASU. ASU has they accept like everybody. It's a giant, giant school. U of A is also pretty large, but nowhere near as large as ASU. So put that in perspective. UGA is like thirty thousand. 
That's massive. Well, that's three times the size. Yeah, I thought UGA was massive. Yeah, AC was. Well, this giant. this person, the, the person who says she's part Cherokee, um, she's from Oklahoma, and says you know she was born on the reservation. She's told me some pretty tough stories and wild mm-hmm. stories, but then some of her family are are very, to me, very black looking. So I don't know, you know whether mm-hmm. you. And like I said, my husband never believed her. He thought that she was just <laughs> saying that because for yeah. some reason it, it was cool. Like you said, I, I don't know. That really does beg the question. I was thinking about this earlier when I was reading through some of that stuff. Like, what do we even, like, specifically referring to blackness or whiteness or whatever, like, what does that even mean? It's almost what? just like There's so many different definitions. Mean? It's yeah. almost just like There's how people perceive them. Like, if you look is, black, yeah. it doesn't matter whether you've been to Africa, whether yeah. you were born here, you're just, you're still a black American. Yes. Yeah. It's like, I won't say who it was, but someone was... Someone I know was like, well, you know, Barack Obama. They all they keep saying he's the black president, but he's also half white. And I was like, but it doesn't really matter because when people look at him, they have all the biases and things of like a black person. So his experience in America is just as black as any black person. Whereas you have someone like me who you look at me and it it would you'd have to ask me to really make a decision. Some people I've talked to, you know, I kind of play this guessing game with them. I'm like, well, what do you think? Mm -hmm. If they ask me that question, a lot of times I'm like, well, what do you think? And (laughs) I would say like less than ten percent of people are are correct. It, it, that's so crazy. That, assigned, I would never think that to places say, me in a different place you? in society. The the biases that I experienced oh, often would be different than what you know a black person who looks black like would experience. I feel like there was thing I saw online where there were twins, but one of them had gotten like the light gene, one had gotten the dark gene, and yeah, their experiences. You know, growing up in the same family in the same place, but they had such different mm-hmm. experiences. Well, I, the, the whole <laughs> obsession with skin color is ridiculous. It really, like, it's not even like that's been around a while. I was just reading something, like in ancient Rome, skin color wasn't really like even a thing. How it oh, is really? Now. Like they had all these different things about class and mm-hmm. level of society, but it wasn't about like color was just, it meant you were from somewhere else. And it mm-hmm. didn't really like. Well, yeah, that that's, that's the other sort of side to the story in America specifically is it's not just an issue of skin color. Racism is not just about the, your skin color. We use, we as in historically America, I, I wanna say, and I've read historians who kind of agree, I guess, we use skin color in race and anything else, in nationality, immigrant status, whatever, as a way to sort of divide classes. And, and the, yeah. you, know, you know what I mean? So it's not just like, just because you're you're black or brown, you're less than. It really we correlate that with poverty, and we that's yes. how we keep things very divided. I have divided. a friend who's of, she's from India, and the darker you are, or at least how this used to be, yeah. meant that you were the one slaving out in the fields, which means you are the lower caste. Yeah. Yes. So yes. If your be, skin is lighter, that means you've been in new doors. It used to be like that in Europe and America too, just for white people. Really? Yeah, that's why it's it switched. It used to be you know super pale. And kind of chubby was beautiful because that meant you didn't have to work; you didn't have to go outside. And you're eating a lot. And if you and, and if well you were, if you were thin and tan, you must have to work a lot. And yeah. now, be, now it's switched because you have time to work out and go tanning and go on vacation. Oh, and yeah. if you, you know, you don't have time to exercise, you're and fat and lazy. So it's, it like switched, yep. but it used to be the other yeah. way. And then when when you went to Malaysia, I'm not, I, I, they have like skin whitening stuff. Yeah, I'm uh-huh. sure they have that in yeah. India. Yeah. Lots of places. People, yeah. um, they probably had that in Mexico too. We just didn't, really? we just didn't really? go in those stores. Okay. Well, yeah, look, I mean, that's bleaching. here in the United States of America. Mm-hmm. We have um, Yeah, a lot of, um, well, you know, the- a lot of models and um, I would say, you know, certain um, 
African American celebrities and stuff really buy into that stuff. They, you know, uh, well, what's the famous um, um, baseball player's name? He's been like bleaching himself forever. Uh, um, what's his name? You know what I'm talking about. Really? Uh, yeah. What's, what's this guy's name? It's not. It'll come to me in a moment. But there's a famous baseball player. Um, really popular, yeah. you know, especially like in the '90s or so. He's kind of oh, retired really? now, but um, progressively he went from like being like a pretty dark tan dude to being like a, a kind of a sickly, a sickly white, <laughs> a gray. Yeah, he's like a sickly white gray <laughs> oh color, God. you know. Now that it's obvious, like he's been using skin lightening. I saw these crazy videos of these women that would. Put toxic stuff. I don't know, Clorox yeah. mixed with some shit. Wrap themselves up in um, saran wrap and, yeah. and let it like mm-hmm. uh, bleach, bleach themselves their skin. Down. And I'm like, oh my god! People have always been doing weird stuff to modify. Is it Sammy Sosa? Say what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I it's Sammy right. Sosa. Yes. Yeah, yes. yeah. Sammy Sosa. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think like, look up a picture of him now. Look at a picture of him before. I'm look at a picture sure, of him yeah. now. Yeah. You're like. This guy's been putting on some cream for tech. Wow. <laughs> he, he looks strange. He looks super strange. I mean, and it makes sense, though, because you, you need... It. We, as human beings, we're not... It's, it doesn't feel right to us when people are poor. It doesn't feel right to us when people are suffering that way. It doesn't feel right to us when the systems and policies we have in place are that way. It doesn't, it doesn't feel correct to us at all, to any of us. So you need some scapegoat yeah. to make that feel right. We're not meant to... We don't. We can't see another human naturally and like think of them as less than human. We're not built that way. That's not how ours. That doesn't make sense biologically or evolutionarily at all. So, in the United States, there was this really great sort of tool. It was like, well, okay, we have black slaves. There was also white servants, by the way, at the same time. But one really easy way of getting people to sort of ignore poverty as we have is to bring racism into the fold and demonize people of color and then they end up being you know the ones at the bottom of society and it's like super easy to dehumanize them because you are it's been done by you know um the nazis with jewish people this this sort of trend of dehumanizing people by using their race as like the identifying factor that marks them as evil i'm trying to find this article it's some way to uh, distance themselves from the cognitive dissonance of like, oh, that's a person I should help them. Yes. It's like they have to rationalize it so they don't yep. feel like responsible. Even people have always pulled religion into it too. Mm-hmm. Like, oh well, God ordains that that person must be a worker, and I get to be this person, and I don't have to yep. look at them because that's how it's supposed to be. Yep. Yeah. So I read this article that um, by um, Ta Nehisi Coates. I don't know if you've heard oh, of him. He's yeah. a really, you know, super Prominent. awesome journalist, amazing writer. And uh, he came up with this article in The Atlantic called um, The First White President. And in that article, he was talking about um, this concept of, of kind of what we're talking about here now is um, dividing uh, economic classes um, based upon um, you know, race. And uh, he brought up this interesting point that I've thought about before, but it was, it was really clear the way he stated it, this idea of um, how can we can go ahead and control um, the masses of, of poor white labor and um, the easiest way to go ahead and do that is to present them with the concept of you know well at least you're not X right mm-hmm. X being um, you know first black slaves and then you know black Native Americans yeah, Native Americans so the best way to really Sherrod understand Roberts. someone's experience yeah. at least 
Yeah, <laughs> right. You know, at least you're not this. Yeah. So you know, th- th- there was that kind of concept that um, at least a, a lot of policy makers and um, you know economic theorists were were were, were implementing really early on in um, you know American history. Um, the idea of um, making sure um, you know masses of poor individuals don't go ahead and um, or, or revolt against yes, them. Yes, they were terrified. And, uh, yeah, they were terrified yeah. that black slaves and white servants were going to organize. Exactly. Because yeah. they, were, they were outnumbered by oh, no, like, you're not the same. Let us point something out to you. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> and that was the way that the, the real distinction this whole time has been between rich and poor. Mm-hmm. That's the real, like, sort exactly. of... I hate to use the word enemy, but the real sort of enemy of the sort of common folk is those aristocrats, those rich people in the government, rich people, not even in the government, but mm-hmm. in the sort of financial system. That the class struggle's always been there. Yeah. They control everything. And mm-hmm. it's like, I, I'm not a conspiracy theorist at all, I mm-hmm. promise. This is things that are based in what I, I guess would say are evidence, but it's just his, his, historical. Yeah, mm-hmm. They were terrified of the poor people actually rising up and overthrowing them because poor people have always outnumbered the rich because obviously the rich people want to be few and far between because there's more for them yeah (laughs) so Mm -hmm. yeah so um, it's difficult to figure out like well how do you make things more fair when that's what you're up against that's a good question yeah Uh, but you know racial mixing no there are some people that do believe going back to the modern family idea I've heard people who say like oh well that's gonna fix it yeah People have told that to me. They're like, oh, well, you know, mixed race family, like, that's like the way to go because then we can sort of, you know, erase that color line. Well, I think in, in, the, that, in, in the, the in the way future, yeah, right. we'll be a whole lot more mixed, but right. we're going to find some other reasons right. to have class <laughs> division. Yeah. Blue yeah. eyes versus green eyes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. It'll we'll break down even further uh, divisions. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's. It makes fam- having a family complicated. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I guess I want to say that when it comes to the, the, the modern family, um, a big reason why things are also segregated and um, you don't have the nuclear family anymore is really, I think, technological you know, innovation. Um, I mean, I think that's kind of overlooked. There's this natural progress, pr- progression where um, as we become more advanced... The less you need, the less you need to be dependent upon a certain unit to go ahead and survive, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, there was a time where <laughs> in the United States where there was no phones or, or, or cars or or police or um, refrigerated, you know, food or or processed food or or, or anything f- to help you besides your family, mm-hmm. and um, so. Um, you you needed that unit there in mm. order to go ahead and survive, and um, as you know, the, the government and the state has um, implemented certain social programs, and um, our societies became more sophisticated. You just that, that need is not there. You know, granted, you're not living great if you're a single mom with like four or five kids, but it's doable compared right. to um, trying to do that maybe a hundred years ago. Right. It's almost like you know? the reverse becomes true because what is considered success is that you become 18 and leave your family and go make another one on your own. Yeah. You know what I mean? Not leave yeah. them, like, never talk to them. I just mean leave your immediate family. And if you're someone who's 25, 35, whatever, living with your mom, that whole mm-hmm. idea of living in your mom's basement, that's like a bad thing. <laughs> Whereas before... Your family, you were living with grandparents, you were right. living with aunts and uncles. How it you was, did it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. They, you all lived in the same house. That now, was an apartment man. building. And it's weird how culturally it becomes yeah, like. Now you're a loser. Yeah, now you're a loser. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that weird? You're like a loser, but you're also like, if I think about my own self, I would 
die if I had to go back and live with my mom and live with my dad, yeah. whatever. Like that would be that's a very Western because... condition thing to yeah. think this concept of yeah. you need to be gone and out of your oh, house yeah. and self sufficient by the age of eighteen. Yeah. And if you're not doing that, then there's something wrong. There's something you're fundamentally right. wrong right. with you as a person. Yeah. You know, uh, that's that's very Western idea. That's a, I think that's an only idea that arises in the conditions of like wealth and and, and um, yeah. uh, a society where um, surplus and yeah, a surplus where you kind of could make it theoretically by yourself if you look at other types of families if you look at um like uh, you know, some Hispanic families that come from um, Mexico um, they're strong family units and they live together yeah. in one multi-generational. Yeah, multi-generational unit and and I think that's born out of like um a culture where that was that's that's still necessary to survive, you know. Like you were saying, the family takes yeah, care of. Exactly. Uh, we live in a in an area that's predominantly has a lot, let's say, Indian and Korean families. Yeah. And very much so, they're multi. You know, exactly. Grandma lives, and the you yeah. know the mom and dad live. The grandparents are there, the kids are there, and that's how it was in the old country. And that's when how did that stop here. in the United States? When did that stop? I, sure. I think it stopped in my my parents' yeah. generation. Yeah. You know, huh. it was that you know, um, it was after the war, and mm. it was the American dream: have your house, your picket fence, and yeah. you know, and that's when mm. I think that multi-generational family. Think of the thing movie um, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, right? Mm. Yes. Where oh, they all live in, in the same, yeah, in the same house. They're in the same house. <laughs> they all slept. That wasn't weird. That was just like, hey, we a poor family. We're trying yep. to make it out here. Yep. But to and, us you know, now, it's like, now it's like, oh, oh. oh. <laughs> you got, can you imagine <laughs> living with yeah. all four of your grandparents? Yeah, that's right. If they're alive. I mean, like, yeah. like no, I got no. That's just too many people even in one house. <laughs> yeah. Not used when did that movie come out? Oh my God! The original I, one, Charlie and the, the original Char- Charlie. I read and the book when the I was a child. The book was better than the movie. The yeah. book was better than the movie. Talk about multi generational. I was thinking about introducing this to the top conversation earlier. So my brother's sixty years old. Him and his mm-hmm. wife are sixty. They raised five children. Okay. Um, their their fourth oldest child uh, was the only girl, and she is bipolar, and she had two children that she's basically left them to raise, mm. okay? So they're 60 years old, mm-hmm. and they have two uh, biracial children. Different dads. Different dads. Mm. Um, you've got me all worried now and wondering, have they talked to these boys, you know, <laughs> because they're half black, right? Mm, yeah. And, you know, they're being raised by white people. And they're yeah. going to have a different experience than the, they have experience with. Yeah. Like, well, like, I feel like these boys think they're white. Mm-hmm. However, well, feel it. They, I know. They're then they already know. probably have because they're seven and five oh, yeah. now. Keep in mind what I was saying back when I was five I and six exactly. and my whole life being asked, what exactly. are you? Exactly. Like they came to Georgia. They come to Georgia every summer and, and they must come and say, well, more white people. Well, where do they live? Or my family. In where New York. Yeah. Long okay. And so there's other black people around, but I still feel like they've got to have questions. Well, I do know that uh, the dad's families... Not the dads, but mm-hmm. the dads, like moms, so yeah. the grandmas and the aunts, they show up once every blue moon. Okay. So these boys have some knowledge that there is another side of their family right. when these people come. But I feel like they're being raised like 
white kids. Well, I hope mm-hmm. that, you know. Well, what does that even mean? My aunt and uncle. I don't know. Well, right? Don't, no, I don't know <laughs> what that means. No, and now yeah. I'm even more yeah, confused. Yeah, well, well, yeah. You don't, like, raise someone white, but what it is is just. No, like they. If you have yeah. white parents who haven't really thought. They don't. Especially, you know, especially these. My aunt and uncle that I'm thinking mm-hmm. of. I don't know how much they know or think about other people's kind of lives. They're they're just, again, a very small kind of world, so I don't know if they're going to be able to talk to these children about, like, these are some things you might experience, and how do you feel about this, and just, I don't know if they're going to have a good... Well, that's what I'm trying to say in a lame way. Like, have they sat these boys down and saying, you know, you have, you know, a black heritage. Right, the thing is, is, I would say that white families and black families and different you know races of families have different conversations with their kids about what the world is about you know right. compared to well, each other so a black a black parent might say to their kid to their black son do not do this in the face of a cop do not do this right. I remember but to a white kid would you ever tell a white kid like don't you know i would I mean? never say that because you don't have to worry about someone getting shot up by white hands person on for, the wheel yeah and, and those are conversations like that, that many the... black people have with their kids so that's the thing that is difficult when and, you and one boy is much darker than the other boy yeah yeah and that's i mean i'm just i'm just grasping at straws here these could be issues also hair kids. is a big thing i was going to ask actually earlier like what kind of texture hair your mom had because that was a, a big thing for me growing up is I have a, a combination of hair that doesn't, it doesn't, you know, sort of give me away as being black at all, but you feel it and you're like, it's not like normal sort of like white hair, whatever that means. It's just, you know what I mean? It's like a combination. And so that's another thing that is an identifying These are all things I never would have thought about. Yeah, my mother, she, um, I mean, she has long hair. I mean, like I said, most people, um, if you don't ask her, would assume she's either like, like some... European, maybe Spanish or something like that, yeah. or or white, you know. So yep. she has like you know very white people hair. So did that yeah. bother you as a kid? As a kid, no. Like I said, I mean it didn't bother me, but um, I definitely like recognized it because you know as a kid, you know people will be like, "That's your mother," like like you know, <laughs> that can't that, be. yeah, and like, that that can't be your mother at all. And um, so you know I would think about it, but I don't think. You know, I started processing those differences maybe until I was in my teens. Mm. You know, I think when you're younger, you you realize it and you think about it, but you don't dwell on it. You know, you're just like, okay, you, you note that, like, okay, that's a difference out there, and maybe you have a few questions. But as a kid, you're concerned with other things. There's a lot of other fresh things to be distracted with. But as you you know get older, you know, you're in your early teens or so. Um, you start to go ahead and really process these differences, try to find your place, who you are, and stuff like that. And then that's when you really start to go ahead and reflect on those moments and maybe think about, mm. like, hmm, you know, like, well, what's the difference here? You know, what, what, what's really going on? I would say, like, early teens. Yeah. See, the moments I have in mind when you, when you said that made me think about one of the biggest issues of growing up in a family that is a mixture of races, especially black and white. I mean, again, we just go back and there's racial division among all races in this country, but it's not kind of the main narrative in our country since the mm-hmm. end of slavery has been black and white, is being mixed race, knowing that you have a part of you that is black or whatever, and being around your white family, and this idea, we have to talk about this idea of implicit bias, you know, meaning anybody, just if you grew up, if you live in this country, you're born with implicit bias because you look around in the media, and the media is telling you constantly that people of color are bad somehow. Mm. And so because of that, again, none of my family would come right out and, like, ever, like, 
say something overtly racist, but they say things that are still racist. And even my own mother, all the time, it happens to this day, all the time. And so being, um, you know, in a in a multiracial family and being around sort of the white side causes a lot of sort of pain because they're saying things that are disrespectful yeah. to your own I think half of you and you're just like it could be similar for adopted children too who don't look like their parents and then yeah. their parents are like oh yeah. no I just love you how you are I don't see you as this or that And but the child's like but you're not really understanding that I'm feeling this right now in this way and right. you're just kind of overlooking it so um, I, I said yeah, that to my mom a, a, a while ago like, was well, uh, I color I, I went ahead and I that's like so. I um so <laughs> I, I briefly dated someone who was um, adopted. Her family was, um, you know, white, and um, she was Indian. And um, you could tell that it affected, like, who she, you know, how she processed, who she thought about, how she thought about herself and yep. where she came from. And we, and we spent time actually trying to go back and find some of the records and everything. It's hard. I mean, I remember we sat down for a while. She got some of the... She got some information from her, you know, her, her adopted parents, and we were able to track it back to the place that she was adopted from. But beyond that, it was like just a just a mystery because um, apparently at that time, a lot of uh, migrant Indian workers were paid to have children. I don't know if they're getting paid, but that, a that lot of a them... Thing. Yeah, it is a big thing. Yeah, a lot of them were, like, you know, would have children, and they were these these women were workers. You know, they didn't have, like, stable homes. They were just going wherever the jobs and stuff were. And if they couldn't take care of the kid, they found a nearest place to go ahead and put them up for adoption or to drop them off and just moved on. Mm-hmm. And often these women would get false names. Um, you know, there's just... You, you had no, literally no idea... Like you know, <laughs> who this where you came where from, you came from. Yep. and um, it was tragic. And now you can tell that that really bothered her. That like there's just this dead trail at this orphanage. You know, a lot of times the names that these children would be given would just be random names that the orphanage would just come up with. Like yeah. you're you're, okay, you're such you're and such. You're gonna be you're such and such because it just be just be another kid. She got lucky, I guess you know, in, in a way. And uh, was adopted and brought over here to the United States. And what's interesting about this story is that I was like, I, I remember talking with her. And I was like, so like, how did you get here? And she was like, well, from what I know, <laughs> the story was like literally, like almost like, like, uh, like, like a like a product, like a bag. Like they took her on a plane, arrived at an airport in the United States. Shipped her. Her, her adopted parents arrived at the airport. Here you go. The dude who dropped her up just got back on the airplane, went back to India, and they, they, they just had a kid. That's crazy. They just went home. Isn't that nuts? That is nuts. Like, literally, they just... Oh, I got you. <laughs> they just <laughs> dropped you off like a, like like a it, bag. It's like the like, stork like a, brother, yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. It's not much Yeah, exactly. Better. <laughs> just like, like some, du- some dude from someplace in India just shows up, you know, with, with your kid that you've been, you know, trying to go ahead and adopt. And um, like, well, here you go. See you later. And just yeah, hops on a plane. Sure you just need to never see that person I mean, again. We see celebrities. We see white celebrities who adopt yeah. black babies and things like that all the time. And and I, I would have a half a mind to say, I, I've said this to my own parents, which has never been a productive conversation, but I've said to them, like, you know, y'all have no business having um, a multiracial baby or adopting a baby that is a different race than you if you 
cannot understand what that means in no society. Yeah. Yeah. If, you haven't, if you've never even thought about it, if you're going to be one of those people that says, oh, I don't see color, when you say that, if you say you don't see color, you're speaking from a place of privilege, 100%. Yeah. You're, yeah, you're already, I'm not, you know, calling you out a as a racist, because yeah. that's my mom, you know, I, I've said that already, where, and that's my mom and my whole family, it's not just her, it's my whole damn family on her side, where we'll be sitting there, and they'll just be talking about whatever, and they live in South Carolina, rural South Carolina, and there are white people mm-hmm. from Arizona that live in South Carolina, so, <laughs> um, you know, and they'll be talking, and they'll just say, my uncle is a Trump voter, and it's just like, they'll talk about people of color in a way that would be hurtful to anybody but you know hurtful to me specifically and I kind of most of the time I would hold my tongue until recently I'm and I've been able to call out my own mom and say like you you can't even say that you don't you don't understand what it means you know you're speaking from a place of privilege as a white person you've never experienced things that a person of color will experience in their life and so you saying I don't see color does nothing for me or does nothing for you does nothing productive for anybody it's meaning like help. I'm not acknowledging or saying you're basically yeah, I passing don't see the color buck. is really more of an insult than an excuse. anything yeah definitely yeah I don't even recognize you and your identity as a person yeah. Yeah. Yes. yeah so you're just counting that experience but these are all new conversations it's going to be interesting to see how this stuff develops and you know the next 10 20 years or so because I mean we're just reaching this point now where we're also interconnected you know by social media and all these different platforms to where we're actually now able to have these conversations where you know years ago you just put down the newspaper boom and you just disconnect and think, have not have to deal with it. Just live within your own community. And their families, yeah, like yeah, you said. exactly. You and know, mixing um, with other people. You know, if you're in the south, go ahead and make a water fountain over there. You make a water fountain over there, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, you know, everybody. just go ahead and live <laughs> this well, weird double I'll life, move. tangent life with these weird rules. You know, like just growing up in America. Like no matter where you are, and I know other countries you grow up with different kind of biases, but it's like no matter how much you become aware of your biases and you talk about it. <laughs> Like, I still notice that they're there. And yes. I think of myself as, like, a very open-minded person, yeah. but sometimes I'll think something, and I'm just like, yeah. wow. Yeah. <laughs> and I just, yep. you know, I'm a teacher, and I just read something the other day about um, black children. I, I forget all the numbers, so I'm just going to say most and, like, very. But black mm-hmm. children are way more likely to be in a gifted program if they've had one black teacher throughout their entire you know, mm. student life through high school. Wow. And it's because just of that bias that, you know, I guess, oh, they're not going to be really gifted or talented. So, or yes. so you mean they had one champion? Yeah, they were much more, they if they had there. another black teacher, or I think it might have just been any teacher of color, mm-hmm. they were much more likely to be put in a gifted program. That's really sad. Implicit bias shows up in a lot of ways that aren't necessarily just in racism or being... Um, how do I say this? Implicit bias doesn't always just have to mean that you think of a certain race as in a negative way. Right. It just means it you don't come look out at as, this child and think maybe they're gifted because yes. they have dark. It could be anything, or it could be yeah. it could it could be a place of pity. It could be it, it shows up in all kinds of ways. Yeah. And hmm. you know, you yeah. might see a black person on TV and be like, oh, like how great that they went to college. That's implicit bias. Right. Because you're saying in that statement, like, oh, well, they're not expected to go to college. Right, you're surprised black. they went. And I've heard, the that from time, my mom. I've heard that from I, all kinds we of all have yeah. to rec- We have to recognize, though, too, that um, there, there is some type of um, um, biological element to the way we perceive other people. But it's oh, a whole yeah. tribal that, um, thing, right? It, it is a tribal thing that our brains are, rarely, are really based on that. Not to say that we should go ahead and go ahead and accept 
um, you know, these implicit biases and just go ahead and roll with them. Our brains are wired kind of like them. that. It's like but, they yeah. say um, couples are tend to look a little bit like each other because yeah. even friends true. tend to look yeah. like each other because you just you see someone who kind of looks like you and you just feel like Same. almost an affinity for them yeah. and you don't really know why mm-hmm. but it's just your brain saying look like yeah you know, we look yeah someone. and it's just exacerbated and like kind of made worse mm-hmm. by all the things that we're exposed to and we see that sort of tell us certain people are bad or good or whatever yeah, well, I think that in the conversation, we, we have to, you know, and when we have these conversations in public, we have to recognize that, that you know, this is part of our biology. And I don't think that conversation is often, ha- is often had. I think that um, a, a lot of times, you know, people are quick to go ahead and snap on the, on, you know, the, the bias, whether it's, you know, race or, or class or, or gender or whatever it may be. Um, but... We don't ever address that that middle space of like, well, wait a minute, you know, do you do you, do you recognize that um, you know there is something fundamental about you being human that you're recognizing these differences and maybe you're you're coming up with um, these stereotypes um, passively, yeah, because of that biology. I don't think we recognize the biology portion of this a lot. I think a lot of times we just chalk it up to just being a fundamentally corrupt society. And, but I, Which I is think interesting, that, right? Because that's kind yeah. of saying that we don't we don't want there to be differences. If we're saying it, like if we, if we keep coming up with these reasons, mm-hmm. then is that saying that we we really do want equality, or like what do we what do we want then? Like biologically, we're motivated for something different than what we're actually seeking. It kind of well, I think like humanity, we're like trying to progress, but our brains are still mm-hmm. wired. In yeah, like the Stone Age, so we're yeah. not yeah. caught up. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. that is very very I true. Think that's true. It's interesting, right? And it causes a lot of yeah. problems. That kind of uh, disparity, that difference is like. So yeah, so when it comes to like you know the family unit and stuff, is that um, you know <laughs> we're 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 wired to go ahead and um, and you know find that significant other, procreate and protect that Breeding, um, yeah. you know that that family line, that that, that lineage there, and um, I go back to this issue when the when our environment, our artificial environment around us creates a situation where we don't need each other necessarily in order to protect that child or to survive, then um, what happens? You have a broken family unit. You have people who don't um, commit to each other um, um, for long periods of times. Um, the, divorce, yeah. right? I mean, that's yeah, the uh, like, yeah. I mean, it's, modern trends. <clears throat> mm. Actually, well, though, there are some because societies that there was a time period where, like, the person that you linked up with, your finances and your livelihoods were were completely intertwined. It was better for you to put up with the bullshit, right? <laughs> and live your life than to break up and somehow or try to go ahead and survive the, yeah. because you couldn't do it. The mechanisms weren't there. It's too hard. The social safety net weren't there. Yeah. Um, whatever, the, 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 the child support, all that type of stuff wasn't there. So it was like, all right, I'm going to grind through it. We're, you know, we're just going to But it also wasn't it socially acceptable. Really, yeah. Or religiously either. acceptable. Not like it is now. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of like your social safety net. Like, it, if, if you do it now, at least people aren't going to, like, ostracize Right, you. right, yeah. right, right. But, you know, it wasn't socially... Ex- it's, like, it's like, you know, what comes first? I think that the um, need for um, family units to survive came before um, the, the, the social conditioning of, you know, um, the, the 
ta- the taboo of a broken up family. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that survival. the need for survival became first, and then we created these you know um, social mechanisms to justify it. These, and uh, so that's where I think the um, that old school of like you know if you had a divorce, um, you know you were kind of shunted and, mm-hmm. and looked down upon came from. But now as that need to survive has changed. You know, we see that our social customs have changed with it, and people aren't looked down at anymore. You know what's interesting, though, is there, you could probably make an argument that says that the need to survive hasn't really changed much. The world is still freaking difficult to live in. It's still very hard <laughs> oh, yeah. to survive. When you move out on your own 18, or right now, I've, now I've gotten two degrees, 23, and I'm unemployed, and I am struggling. And it's like, I'm relying on my family right now. My brother is paying our rent. My mom... Uh, helps with money my dad helps so what's interesting is maybe the need to survive hasn't changed it's just like we somehow culturally have sort of shifted to think that independence is more important because think about what's what's interesting though is how much mental illness and mental health issues there are especially in our generation now why is that is it because could you trace it back to the fact that families are so broken up? Like, there's a lot of reasons, obviously. Wow. But I think about. I think about. Uh, I don't know. Maybe they shouldn't be. I mean, I'm not saying we should all like live together, but. Yeah. Well, first, I think that so, the, the environment has changed. I mean, <laughs> well, we're talking about, um, you know, maybe a uh, hundred or so years ago, um, if you didn't, <laughs> if you didn't have somebody to look after for you, you couldn't just show up to. Um, you know, a homeless shelter and yeah. like, you know, somebody give you food. Um, no, you were like on your own. You, you starved you, in the street. Yeah. You, yeah. You, you, that, that was it. And uh, not to mention the mechanisms against crime that we have today were non-existent back then. I mean, who knows like uh, how many like just crazy people out there you run across that would just off you and and there was nobody to come look for you right. i mean it was it was a more dangerous time i think yeah. that your survivability maybe i'm not saying that it was like you know a stone age but you know your survivability was definitely a lot lower i think back back then maybe a hundred or so years yeah, ago than it is today i'm just very you know? cynical but it's, it's okay surviving, no. like the measure because maybe we want to do better than just like survive survive yeah, <laughs> yeah. okay first yeah. Of, first of all my son's 24 he graduated college and he's living at home again and now he's going to nursing school, and he'll probably live with us for two more years. Just so, you know. And we we can support him, so we are. Yeah. Um, but I'm thinking, you know, you're going back to, you were talking about mental health and responsibility and safety and all that. Think about back in the day when people got married when they were 13 and 14 mm. years old. You know, they talk, about, they talk about teenagers being, you know, wild and this and that. And teenagers weren't always like that. Yeah. You know, back because then, teenage is like something we've kind of recently invented. Yeah, exactly. Right. No, other, time time for that. no other species yeah. has. Right. There was no time for adolescence. You you were out on the freaking farm <laughs> yeah, yeah. behind a plow. Yeah. You know, so that you could freaking eat. So you didn't yeah. have all these. Uh, what do they say about teenagers? Whatever that they have mm-hmm. angst and they have this and yeah, that. We've the created other thing. a lot of that. We've stuff, created definitely. a lot of stuff, and I think we've created a lot of mental health mm-hmm. issues. I also stuff. think. Um, how anxiety? Do you think these people had anxiety? Well, they worried if it was going to freaking rain. Might That's what they have had been anxiety. more disposed to anxiety, but it wasn't. Not on the scale they we have today. Yeah, maybe. they would have been perceived as maybe more just worried, were, and it still wouldn't have been anxiety. They were eccentric. Anxiety has persisted because it's associated with surviving. If you're going to be lying awake at night thinking, "What if I get attacked by a panther?" Like 
you're probably more likely to survive than the person just like, good night. Yeah, and yeah. like, who cares <laughs> about panthers? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, what if it's just a There's normal a biological that. mechanism that we it gave is. it a name and then we started telling people, people that this is not normal. And you, you well, know. And, and it also has to do with the environment because in that environment, anxiety is great. It's going to keep you alive. Yeah. Right. Anxiety now is not as helpful when you're just worried about. A lot of it's you know, social now. You yeah. have social. I have social anxiety. Diagnosis, social anxiety, whatever that yeah. means. I just, think half the people walking around have yeah. social anxiety. I have honestly. not met a person my age who I wouldn't... I'm not a professional mental health clinician, obviously, <laughs> but I have not met a single person my age who I would not put in the same seat in a therapist's office talking about depression. Oh, yeah. I, I swear like, like... You know what? I, I, there's this awesome Absolutely. documentary by um, Adam Curtis called um, Hypernormalization. And uh, in that doc- another like full day of like mental health, that would be a good one. Yeah, 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 yeah. That would be great. And uh, in this documentary, <laughs> he was talking about <laughs> like he's talking about the hey, like hey. So there was a time period where um, the mental health field was like really gaining steam and booming and turning into an institution, and um, a lo- but a lot of um, other sociologists and uh, professionals. Um, didn't really believe that these psychologists um, could properly diagnose someone. So there was this like famous uh, study that was done, I think maybe in the 30s or so, where um, this one guy, he was like a journalist, a sociologist, and um, he sent like 15 or so people to certain mental institutions and told them to say this, that you hear something in your head and, it, and the sound is a thud. Just, you know, obviously you're, you're, you're okay, but tell them oh, so this when you're being active. diagnosed and uh, try to get them to diagnose you with something. See if they know you're lying or not. So all these people went out to these mental institutions across the United States and uh, got evaluated. And, like, all of them got diagnosed with random stuff from, like, schizophrenia, hysteria, um, you know, psychosis. So sad. And what was scary about it is that these people got locked up into these mental institutions for like years. And they couldn't get out. And what's even crazier is that these people had to pretend like they were getting better in so order to get, get out. out. <laughs> so oh my and they God. were given like all these drugs and stuff and it was it was it was insane. And so after the experiment or so um, this guy wrote this long paper, you know, on the issue and exposed the industry for what he thought it was, which was a fraud, saying like these people know what they're doing. I sent people over there to get, you know, to get diagnosed. All of them were fine. They got locked up for like a year. Mm-hmm. You know, some of them people are still not right. They were giving all this experimental medication and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then after that, the mental health like institution as a body so was like, oh, we can't have this. You know, we, we you know, we this. This is an attack on our credibility as an institution. If this is circulating around and people are believing that, hey, you know, we don't know what we're doing, then that, that destroys our credibility, that destroys the entire field. Yeah. So we need to come up with some type of way in order to guarantee that we know what we're doing. Actually, I think this happened like in the 60s or 70s, not 1930s. I mean, it's a really good documentary. Pretty wild back, yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. This was around the time where they're doing like lock, electroshock therapy and all that type of stuff. So, um, but anyway, so what the um, American like uh, psychological institute came up with is that they started data processing um, symptoms. They started. Um, they took a whole bunch of like symptoms. Are you like you know shaky? Do you feel sad? Um, do you, are you able to get up in the morning? They took all this data and they put it into computers. 
and then they started to map these datas to certain types of wow. terminologies. And so then they came up with this new way of diagnosing people. They start saying like, hey, okay, it's not us individually doing this anymore. Yep. We have took all these symptoms and stuff from thousands of people that we have studied, put it into this computer. So all we're going to do is have you check these boxes. That's the DSM, right? Exactly. Yes. That's what I'm getting to. All we're going to have to do is check these boxes. Yep. And if this is what these boxes line up to this diagnosis, then boom. That's what you are. And then from there, that's how we'll go ahead and diagnose really, people. Mental, and that's how it came A mental about. illness is not something like, well, now they're finding out a lot in your brain, but it's not right. something like you can just go in and say, oh, yeah, there's a growth right there in your in your arm or whatever. Yeah, like, you can't see it. It's, yeah. All it is is your symptoms. All these um, institutions started putting out commercials and stuff, like on, on TV and everything, saying, do you have, do you feel sad? You know, um, or do you feel stressed out? Do you have trouble waking up in the morning? You may have depression. Uh, come down to this office today, and um, we'll go ahead and give you this medication. And this was like the rise of the pharmaceutical yeah. industry in the United States. Mm-hmm. And so, <laughs> the what sad you had people on TV, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> sad music. talk about as pharmaceuticals. Oh, and yeah. you had this whole generation of people in the '80s and the '90s who started self-diagnosing themselves. Yeah. Started saying that, wait a minute, I don't meet this weird set of normal that this algorithms that these psychologists came up with maybe there is something wrong with me maybe I am depressed maybe I do suffer from anxiety maybe I have all these disorders and then now we have a generation of people who are going out here just getting pills and just popping them because um, some machines out there say that they don't fit this certain standard of normal and they have these certain you know, um, these symptoms. Yeah, if you've ever been evaluated for your mental health, it's a very weird experience because it's it's not very humanistic at all. I mean, you fill out a pink sheet of paper. I don't know why it's like always pink, but it's the for depre- There's one for depression, one for anxiety. I've taken one for ADHD, and it's literally like 20 questions. It's like playing a stupid game when you fill in a bubble, and the doctor looks at it and they're like, "Okay, we're gonna put you on Lexapro." That's exactly what happened to me, and I was just like, "Okay." And at that point, I had seen three like psychologists who don't prescribe medication mm. obviously and then I went to an actual psychiatrist and on the first appointment I made with that psychiatrist this lady was a hack she put me on medication dude I went through the same thing and I was like oh, it was that medication was awful it was horrible it was like the worst experience ever and now I'm at a point where I just have lost trust in that entire me too. world and I will never go see a mental health clinician ever yeah. again because I'm like you're I don't think you understand like what's going on with me you're just like you're saying, you're treating this, what the computer told you yeah. back in the 80s was true about people with these symptoms. And these doctors love it because, you know, they now have a thing they can go ahead and point to to say that, no, it's not me. I'm not the one that's misdiagnosing you. All, I have this computer here that has been time-trusted. Yes, there are. You know? I mean, oh, yeah, I have true. a yeah. nephew who was very depressed, and now right. he's on, I don't know what medication also, he is, and he has a different life. Try, like, different medicines mm, yeah. to find the ones that works for it. But people do that. Right. I was just talking to my friend who's in med. She's doing like her residency for psychiatry, mm-hmm. and she was saying like um, people come in with psychosis, like active hallucinating, and like like positive symptoms of schizophrenia. But like, there's like a certain certain like they're giving them this medication, but then it works for some people and not others, and they're able to see like now what lights up in their brain or whatever in their brain. And so basically, what they thought was one thing 
it must be two separate things because only one thing is responding to the medicine but it's yeah. like they're seeing that it's separate so yeah. it's like but what is these medicines doing yeah. but what yeah. is these medicines doing that's my question is like these medicines are forcing people to um you know behave in some predefined idea of what normal is and i'm not sure that like you know i mean obviously there, there are extremes here. Like, if somebody is, like, you know, running around, like, cutting themselves and doing stuff that, you know, that or being a dangerous other, other people than me, and maybe they have a mental disorder. But I think that um, a lot of these medications, especially the antidepressants and stuff like that, anti-anxiety and medications are, um, are like, war- physically warping people's, like, brain um, they um, do because chemistry try to, go off to, 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 to fit a certain narrow-defined path like, of what is normal. You have to go off of Lexapro was like that. I was only on it for maybe a month. I was on a pretty small dose at the beginning, went up double the dose for like, it was like a month total. It took me three months to wean off and when I, even when I did that you get these like weird like feelings in your head. You feel it Okay, so now, but I have a friend who's been on Lexapro for years Mm -hmm. and it just takes the edge off of her anxiety and she thinks it's great. Well, the different medicines right. work differently for right. different people. Exactly. But that's what I'm saying. So that I'm, I'm, it's not what saying I'm saying is not all evil. Okay. No, I don't think it's all it's bad. Not, it's okay. not all evil, but I, I, I have a feeling that... I think it's not the whole picture. There's, there's, They're missing... The that's a big thing. The, that's, that's not the, the whole picture. The ideology of the disease, like the, the nature versus nurture part because there's yeah. different parts to it. Yeah, yeah, therapy therapy is never emphasized these days. Have you noticed that? Like, like it's just the only emphasis is to go to the doctor and pick up some type of well, prescription. It's also, a you know? lot of people, I think, can't afford to go to regular therapy, that's a so problem. they have to go and that's hope the for crying the yeah. Yeah. That's true, and that's the that's the problem. Thing. Like I, when I was system. first started college, I went, you know, to um the on, the on campus therapist, yeah. right? Yeah. And because you know I had some issues, I felt like I needed to go ahead and work out with. Mm-hmm. And like I spent two sessions there, and they're automatically like, "You suffer from PTSD. Go here, get this drug." It was like that quick. I was like, what? And, and of course, me being young at that time, I didn't really know. I was like, this is a professional. Maybe yeah. they're right. Maybe I, I began to internalize that professional thing. Like maybe I do have some fundamental issue with me in which I need to take drugs for the rest of my life. So yeah, I went over there and grabbed some, uh, they they subscribed me like a Zoloft and I began taking that stuff and I felt weird and off. I couldn't sleep and stuff. And I went back to the therapist and the therapist's response wasn't like, well, maybe let's go ahead and investigate this further. It was like, maybe you need to go ahead and change your dosage, right? Maybe or getting to the whole experimentation thing to find something that balances you out. And I just quit taking it altogether. You know, and I never went back to medication after that. So that's not to say that like there are people out there who, who like you know don't have success. Don't yeah, don't have success or or people or like nobody needs it. You know, there are people who do need that medication. But I definitely think that there's a people are just giving it out, man. People are yeah. just giving it out. And there's out. there's large gaps in, in psychological care. It's like you're not. I've seen I've probably five or six different mental health professionals at this point. Some psychiatrists, like I said, some just psychologists. And none of them have been able to really get to the root of the problems I'm expressing to them. Yeah. Um, I don't necessarily fault them for that because I admit that when I'm in a therapy session, I'm a pretty difficult person to kind of like. Mm. I open up, but I'm like, it's funny because like I speak about my struggles and my upbringing, the whole the whole racial ambiguity thing. Yeah. I finally figured out that that was kind of one of the main things that causes my issues with social anxiety, mm-hmm. with depression, with this like lack of self um, esteem, and all of that comes a lot from that. And I've tried to like kind of get my therapist to work through that with me, and they just don't mm. get, don't it, get it, it either. Well, sometimes so sometimes you have to find one that you just click with. Yeah, yeah. and it also hard. takes a long time, time too. Yeah, yeah. I also, um, 
I think a, a lot of the mental health problems people have now is because of how our world is. Uh huh. It's is changed so much. That's and so I, true. I always think of it in this context because, like I said, I'm a teacher, and so I did the Montessori training, and Montessori was a doctor and an educator and the way that she described um like kind of like the man-made world is like the built environment it's built by adults and she did, she was talking about that mostly in the context of children like children are put in this world that's we've built for adults and mm. so they don't really have a good place for it especially because our world is getting faster and faster it's weird how this is still so accurate. She wrote this in the early 1900s, so like before wow. the internet and all this technology and stuff. Mm. But she talked about you know pram babies who just get put in a pram and then shuffled around because people are going too fast for children who need to go slow and put hands on things. But now it almost seems like the world is getting too fast for adults too. <laughs> yeah. And they say you know with social media, it's most more likely to cause you to have like the. I don't yeah. know about actual depression, but to make you feel lower self-esteem. Yes. I feel yes. like Instagram is the worst, yes. where you see everyone like everything's perfect. Their right. stomachs so are sucked like in. So it's like all this yes. kind of stuff. <laughs> it's just like making us feel bad. Mm -hmm. You know, making us feel anxious, making us feel sad about ourselves, making us feel like just oh all my these god! Things. You know what I saw the other day? Um, my girlfriend, her son, mm -hmm. and his boyfriend are taking a picture on Instagram, and she says, "Look, you can see they're holding each other's uh, love handles in the back." So that um, you can't see. So they look more no, this guy got this oh, guy. By the, this is Carolyn, and I'm like, "Are you kidding me?" And in the later picture, you see them oh. all hanging out. Yeah. And I was like, "Wow!" Instagram's pretty bad. It's also I, I'm a new teacher, but te uh, teachers who've been teaching for like you know, 20 years. Even um, my therapist says she does a lot of children, and she says the last 20 years she's also noticed a difference. It's like mm. all of a sudden. Like, there's, the world has always been changing really mm -hmm. fast, but just, like, this technology burst, it seems like there's a whole lot more... Like, children are having a whole lot more problems than they used to. Yeah. Young. And there's, like, the... Because, I guess just... Things are going too fast for them. They're not getting quite what they need. Parents yeah. are giving them things that they think they need, but it's not really what they need. You know, well, it's look not at how much we have to work as a person, as a, you know, in society to now too. It's like, um, you know, most parents. I mean, mo most households are, you know, both parents are working, or the parenting of your child is working. Like, so that's eight hours of your day, boom, gone right then and there. You get back, you're doing child, you got to get up in the morning again. And that's if you're lucky and to like, have a forty-hour yeah, week. Yeah, time. That's, and that's really that's lucky if you're yeah. doing that. So you know, and, and these kids are, you know, not getting. A lot well, of the home attention that they need. I work in a private school, school right? and yeah. so most families, both parents work, and often mm. there's some kind of nanny or babysitter. And the children are still, you know, they're going to be fine. They're well-loved. They're safe. They're, um, they're probably going to go to college. You know, like, they right. they have a big advantage Prognosis in the world, but they still clinical. have a lot of things that come with that. You know, they want to see their mom or they're yeah. staying late. And so... And if parents hear so much, so I don't want to seem like I'm biased one way or the other. Mm -hmm. cause, and so it's like, oh, you should be home with your kids. Or, oh, I can't believe she gave everything up to just stay home with her kids. Like, yeah. You get both sides. And it's important for the parents to work if they want to. But I also see, like, if the children are staying late at school, sometimes they're tired. And they're starving you know. for their parents' attention. Yeah, and it's, it affects all the t children in different ways. But it's like... And a lot here of, we are when everyone's like... A lot of sad like, stories. A lot of, a lot of sad stories. Yes. I mean, it's yeah. hard working at a school. Well, even with young even children. just um, like.
like extracurriculars because it is an Eflo community. So some of these four-year-olds are going to Kumon and karate and swimming. And, oh, wow. Just loaded up. And then, they're, and then they're like cultural class. And it's, so it's like just they're... After a full day of school. They're really busy. When I was four yeah. years old, first of all, we didn't do preschool. I was still holding they on to my mother's apron. They just want to come in and play. <laughs> yeah. They just want to come in and play and yeah. be children. They don't have time to do that anymore. Right. Yeah. So like what's going to happen when... When that generation these, grows, generation up. grows yeah. up. Yeah. When all is said and done, you, you, there, it just feels and seems as if there is something, when, when we talk about mental health, something today is different hmm. about how prevalent mental health problems are than they used to be. And I don't know if that's because we're just diagnosing them more. Yeah. ADHD is a good example of that, where you know yeah. we've known that hyperactivity and ADHD and things like that have existed in children. We just called it being hyper well, before, and now yeah. they put it... A, you know, I, gave it it. A, I mean, uh, I can speak to that. So I think I grew up with anxiety, but nobody knew what anxiety. What it was, We've talked yeah. ad nauseum about this. You know, I was just, you know, uh, the worry wart. Well, yeah. grandma. It wasn't until I really realized what anxiety was. I was like, and then I started hanging out with her. I was like, oh my gosh, this isn't just her being like, you know, senile lady. I was like, that's just <laughs> how like she's always been. Yeah. Huh. Mm. And there's lots of us in our family that suffer from anxiety. You know, me, her, uh, my sister's kids, my brother's kids, they all have anxiety issues. And you, and you can't think, I mean, it's real, right? Yeah. Right. But when I was a kid, it was just, oh, you know, stop being that way. Or, yes. you know, oh mm-hmm. God, nobody thought of a therapist or that something needed to be attended to right yeah you, know? need, you, need, you needed a program yeah to go ahead yeah and, and even as like a yeah. teenager and a young adult my brother he, he i remember he called me eccentric mm. because i wasn't like everybody else because i was high strung you know well and also if that's your only your only and life, i just thought i must be freaking weird well your only life experience was as a person with anxiety so you just thought your world you thought that What's was how everyone else was thinking yeah. Like you didn't even. No, really... I felt like more. What's wrong with me? So my sister would go to the disco, okay, <laughs> with her hair <laughs> the disco and this and that, and I'd be like, <laughs> awkward I mean, like, and weird, yeah. and when you're just younger than that. Even you don't think that that's not how other people are experiencing the world. Like I had OCD since I can remember. I was like ten, mm. but I didn't really tell anybody because I didn't think that it was unusual. Yeah. I thought everybody did that. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah that's you true. Because I think know. back to growing up and the issues I have now with anxiety. Are, depression not so much but anxiety yeah I was that was kind of constant nothing like super severe as it kind of was several years ago but it only really became a problem and when I got older and someone sort of was telling me it was a problem you know what I mean and when I was yeah. starting to realize like, that oh, other people yeah yeah you know right. I was like oh I think there's it? a big issue with like I, I, this brought up an interesting idea is that do you guys feel like there is a time period in your life when you're maturing you become an adult where you realize that you've been given a lot of bad information from a lot of different sources. <laughs> so, yes. so you spend a so you spend a period of time like deprogramming yourself. You're yes. like, okay, I got to get like this idea out of my head. <laughs> right? When you get to a certain age, you start to realize that things you were told might not be true. Like I remember, yeah. really early, like probably elementary school, someone asked me like. Probably just some kid at school asked me like how the world started, and I started telling them about Adam and Eve, and they're like, "Wait, where's the dinosaurs?" And I just had this moment of like, "Wait a minute, <laughs> I dun, have dun, these dun. two stories and they don't fit <laughs> together." Yeah. But I mean, like, in a more personal way. I mean, like, it starts with, like, kind of external stuff like that. Then I think as you you you, you get older, you start like, you come across this idea of like, "Well, all right." 
all this, uh, there's a whole bunch of information out there that's wrong, and I understand that, and I can parse that. But maybe I like I have come, I've made an assumption about how the world is <laughs> that uh, based upon all the information I've been taking in my entire life, and maybe that assumption is fundamentally wrong. Mm-hmm. And maybe I need to go ahead and like you know kind of like cleanse myself of this, uh, this this assumption. And I think that with this conversation about like growing up and you know being programmed as a kid and all this stuff, I think that that time period is taking a lot longer and longer and longer. That like personal deprogramming because maybe we're you know loading children up with more and more like artificial kind of environments and programs and the stuff that they you know that they're put in and maybe they need to be in and uh i don't know i feel like i i, I feel like their delay of and en- your delay of entry into the real world is kind of yeah your delay delayed you're, now you're, you're, you're mature i think that's i think that's what maturity is is that you understand um you know your your programming yourself you understand that you're not perfect and you got some triggers going on. You're able to monitor and moderate that. And you, you live your life in, in, in the real world. You live yeah. your life in, in this world. And I think that that period of like maturity is going further and further I guess, you know, I think, well, people, later in life. Well, maybe. it goes back to my you know, working on the farm thing. Yeah. You know, you had 13-year-olds that were yeah. like fully adults well, nowadays, because they people don't have to be. Yeah. give children enough like respect and credit and it's almost yeah. like they're second class citizens so it's not <laughs> until they get yeah. to a certain age it's like okay now you're a person but like mm-hmm. no you right. need to give Bam, them like really really include them when they're very young yeah. have them do chores be, keep them involved don't just like you know pass it off as though they're little they're not really like paying attention like just treat them like a human being and part of your family from the beginning and there won't be such a oh now you're like an actual older older person like yeah. Be yeah, because if not that's based on what you were saying about the idea of this that the world is really created for adults and by adults that when you said that I was like that was a light bulb on my, in yeah. my head because that makes so much sense mm. because then you know that that's going to be the truth probably regardless mm-hmm. fine yeah. I like mean, whatever can I accept that or not the, fine the, build things that are permanent their work right. is all like non-product driven. about learning and things so that's you know fine but the thing that the problem is is with the sort of current way things are that your transition from childhood to adulthood is so like it's like a whiplash it just happens kind of out of nowhere like I can kind of think back to when I moved away to go to college that's really when everything kind of started in Mm -hmm. terms of my problems it just was like whiplash and all of a sudden I was like scrambling to figure out how to survive in this adult world Yeah. and to this day I'm still like Oh you my were God, not I don't know what the, the hell I'm doing. You were not given no, the keys not in high school, to... not by my teachers, yeah. not by. Yeah. Um, no one really ever treated us as like yeah. people who were about to be in this adult world in the next year. Yeah. Mm. And now here I am, 23 years old, yeah. and I'm still like sink or swim, buddy. Network, yeah, exactly. Like networking is super hard for me. And yeah. again, all these therapists and myself now chalk it up to anxiety. When really what I think it is is more about... Because I'm not an anxious person when I'm in a social setting. You mm-hmm. can hear me talking like I have no right. problem. And I'm, I'm not over there in the corner. By my, I came right. here in the first place. Right. Yeah. The real problem is that I was just not given sort of the preparation to figure out how to navigate the sort of doggy dog mm-hmm. world. And not to say the world's so horrible and bad or whatever. But that makes so much sense now in terms yeah. of my own mental health. Yeah. Because it's like yeah. I was just sort of thrown into this like... Mm-hmm can't go do this now by yourself yeah I'm man that, that's that's the struggle there is that everybody says that everybody's like you know i wasn't ready for this like what yeah. like what, what's going what? preparation for life yeah yeah so it's that's uh what, that's what montessori talks about all the time it's like you know 
from when they're little, it's like mm. functional independence, how to tie your shoes, how to wash your hands, and then when they're a little older, it's like intellectual independence, like how to find out things for themselves, how to do research, and mm -hmm. then it's emotional, and then social, and there's like all the, it just goes on and on, and it's like, you could, like with my five-year-olds, if we do a field trip, I'll, we'll do a lesson on like how to act on the bus, mm. how to watch it play, because like, and it's like, but when you get older, it's nice to have those things, but you keep needing to like, yeah, I think a large part. Really basic life skill kind of stuff. Yes, right. I, you know, I, I think like the more I think about this issue, I think that it's uh, the large, a large part of why society is so you know fucked up <laughs> is that uh, um, there is <laughs> the, 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 there's just generation after generation being put through this like you know jungle gym institution and social programming. And then they get out of that programming stage and they realize that all that programming is not how it really is at all. At all. Yeah, the world's changed. And, um, and people are, are in, 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 in the further and further way the programming gets from like real life, the more and more people are just getting, you know, get upset. Yeah. You know, so um, when you have things like economic, you know, like uh, economic inequality, you know, you have uh, stagnating wages, you have um, this. This, you're telling these kids that there's this world after school that's going to be presented to you as long as you do, quote-unquote, the right thing, and then they get out there and they realize that, you know, like, none of this stuff is out there for you, mm -hmm. then, you know, people feel angry. People feel duped, you know? Yes. Like, <laughs> you know, like, like I, I thought it was going to be this way. I thought this thing you presented was real. Come to find out it's not real. Yep. And then on top of that, you're telling me, you know, you're telling these kids like, well, <laughs> so. Right, exactly. That's Figure right. Figure it out. Welcome to the Figure it out. It really That's is right. Like, it was all bullshit. Kids are not learning ha! just how to exist in this world. Like even like practical, uh, just like basic practical things like yeah. how, like what is a mortgage? How do I get a loan? Oh, yeah. oh, how do I, what is a credit in. card? Like there's so much that, you know, I could tell you and I, I kind of sometimes hate this argument in a way because it's like. I can tell you what the Pythagorean theorem is, and that's important too for you know analytical and reasoning skills. <laughs> I don't want that to go away, but that, uh, at the same time, I wish there would have been someone there, sort of telling me like what to prepare for. Well, yeah. Even like high school, we took How to economics, rent something. and you know I learned about GDP and supply demand, and that's yeah. important too. But they could have told me how to do a mortgage and how to yeah. you know, student loans, right. like. What's How do I? Why don't you? Why do you guys think they don't teach? They don't, they don't teach that. that I mean, you got it has to cross somebody's mind, oppressed. right? Somebody had to sit inside one of these uh, board of education like, You know, maybe we should try to teach them about mortgages. <laughs> I mean, somebody had to bring it up one time, at least one time. Like, Where's it? <laughs> well, what happened? You know, it's funny. I always have to say this: is I'm a I'm a product of Arizona public education through and through. From the time I was in kindergarten through my master's degree, oh. I'm a product of Arizona public education and Arizona public education is awful. Arizona is consistently ranked like 49 and 50 in the country oh, for it's poorly George funded bad too, right? teachers yeah, are bad. miserable yeah. yeah I think Georgia's not far behind but people teachers are miserable it is bad and I thought about it and I was like wow like okay I am you know here I am at this age now and I'm a product of that in a lot of ways, I was still given a lot of you know opportunities. I mm -hmm. was able to go to college on good yeah. scholarships. I still had great teachers along the way who Plus, I would like to think I'd have some kind of, like, intelligence that I was, in, like, born with. Like, I feel like that's also part of it. Um, but at the same time, I just think, like, if I didn't have my own sort of mental faculty, 
wow, I would be in a pretty bad place just because the education didn't yeah. really do for so me. You drove like yourself. There. Yeah. You Somebody know else would not have gotten that. I broke out of the matrix system. one time on that. Like, So <laughs> I, I was a C and D student in New Jersey. I went to high school and stuff up there. I did not care at all. And there were some really good schools up there. They were super tough. Super difficult, you know, good public education system. And uh, but I skipped class constantly, man. I was like, I was just on my own thing, and um, I was never there. I just didn't care at all. And then my um, my family, my mother got a job down here in Georgia and moved us down here. And so um, then I got enrolled into um, North Gwinnett High School, right? You know, up here, and um, <laughs> and so I, I, all the people I knew was gone. And I was transplanted to this place I didn't know, and I was going to this different school system. And so I get into the school system, and then it just dawns on me for a second, like, wait a minute. This is all the same stuff, just in a different place, right? And I carried that idea with me. And so um, I was put in, the different thing about schools down here than up there is that they make you do, like, they made me do, like, these tests to place me, like, in, like, technical and college prep and mm. honors and all that type of stuff. They didn't have any of that stuff in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Either you were like gifted or you were retarded. And every, that was it. You know, there were none of these like staggered placements. So um, I remember like I sat down and I was taking this math test to be placed in a math class. And I was looking at the stuff on the thing and it was like, this was for like, I think well, 11th grade or junior or something like that. And it was square roots. And I was like, oh, I flunked square roots twice back like in eighth and ninth grade up in New Jersey, right? We were doing that stuff years ago. And then I was like, oh, so I know this stuff by now. So, you know, I I, I aced these tests. They're like, you're smart. We're going to put you in honors. We're going to put you in gifted and stuff. And I was like, I see. I was like, wait a minute. This wasn't, this isn't me. This is like the system that I'm in. This is these tests. This has nothing to do with like really my intellectual capacity here because I sucked in this school system. Like hundreds of miles away. Yeah. Now I'm like a genius down here. No way, guys. And then after that, I was like, man, this is just really all game. It's just, it's just the test. Yeah. It's all it comes down to. It's all I care about. Yeah. It, it has nothing to do with whether I really retain the information. Yep. So I became really good at like short-term memory, <laughs> like <laughs> learning. You know, I could if I can go ahead and memorize these equations, get it, put a trick in my head to memorize this stuff and regurgitate, you know, the answers on the test. I'm going to Mesa stuff. That's a lot so of math education. Yeah, yeah, that's just boom, boom, you know, knock the classes out like that. Mm. And it was, then, it, then it just became easy after that because, you know, you learned how to go ahead and game that system. I had the same thing happen to me when I went to college is, you know, the, the colleges in Arizona, the two universities, they're good schools. So that was kind of, I, I shouldn't lump those in with Arizona public education, even though they are Arizona public education and poorly funded and had huge layoffs when I was there and whatever. But, um, you know, growing up, I was like the gifted kid. I was mm-hmm. like literally in that that program, and that was a weird program because all the other kids were like really gifted. And the thing <laughs> is, is like you know, earlier I said I I do believe I you know I'm intelligent, I guess, but I've never really thought of myself, at least as an adult, as like this like super like smart genius person. But when I was growing up, I was put on that pedestal yeah. constantly by my parents, by my teachers. All of them were like, and I realize now it was just by comparison, like because I was in this kind of pretty crappy school system and I was like <laughs> yeah. excelling at it because right? it wasn't the height standards weren't very high basically like it was like 
know. Yeah, okay, well, yeah, I'm a smart person. And so then when I got to college, it was like, no, you're like everybody else, basically, who has a brain. And it it knocked me way down, and it caused a lot of issues. Wow. That's kind of another thing that made the sort of the self-identity thing difficult. That happened to me, I think, when I went to public school, because I was in a really small school, uh and then went to public school, which is Northview around here, which is super competitive. And so... I feel like I'm a pretty intelligent person, but all of a sudden I was like, wow, I'm not. Yeah. Because <laughs> everyone was, yeah. like, super smart yep. and, like, you know, all these AP classes and honors classes. I think our top 10 GPA, like, graduating, it was all over 100 GPA because of the honors points. And That's stuff. what mine was. We had a, we were on a 4.0 scale, and I had, like, a 4.6. I was number two in my class, and I was, like, like the smart genius. Everyone knew me as, like, the smart kid. That was my reputation. I always did just oh, enough. not God. the case. God. College, that was not the case yeah. at all. I struggled through college. I got my three six, and I was like, Ooh, I'm super happy about Once that. Once I saw the code <laughs> in the Matrix, dude, I was like, that's all I'm doing. That's all I did. I was like, I just, I was like, I'm just gonna go ahead and game the system. I'll take the test, pass the test, and get out of here. And that's, and to be honest, for all the courses I had to take in college that I had no really desire to be in. You know, I mean, that's what I did. I just was like, went in there, you know, read the textbook, memorized some stuff, kept it in my brain, took the dang test, and got out of those classes. Now, the classes yeah. I was interested in, yeah, I'll sit there and actually, you know, try to retain stuff and uh, try to learn it. And um, in college, it was even more necessary, I think, because you you, you realize, you're like, I'm paying for all these classes that are just completely unessential to what I'm trying to do here, man. I also think about that when people wouldn't show up to college classes and they're like, you're paying for it, you're here, like, Thousands of dollars. I skipped you a at? lot in college. You know, <laughs> like a lot. I skipped a lot of, not like a horrible amount like that. I'm not. I'm kind of being dramatic, but yeah. if a class was after like five thirty at night, you wouldn't catch me dead there. Like mm. I would usually just not show up. Which, I mean, I got a three six. I was pretty cool. Like it was fine, but I was going to school mostly on scholarship and government money, um, grant yeah. money. Because we were oh, poor as yeah, hell. Yeah. And so after my parents split up, my mom made, like, no money. She was a janitor. Mm-hmm. So we had, like, no money, which was great for me for college because I <laughs> went, I came out of undergrad with, like, $9,000 in loans, which was wow. awesome wow. everybody else. <laughs> then, of course, I went to grad school, and the amount is the same as everybody else's now, so it doesn't really matter. And I went to every class yeah. in grad school because I was paying for loans. Yeah. But yeah, in undergrad, I was like... Man, that's why... Yeah. But it was also partly because I was super, like, uncomfortable and anxious and, like hard on myself in college because I was like suddenly knocked down to this the same kind of level intellectually as everybody else and it really was a struggle for me to even function in class because I was like everyone's so smart and I, I don't even have questions during mm. the lecture I must be yeah. an idiot and like, I, you're average boom yeah <laughs> exactly uh, yeah. so it makes me think you know when I if I if if not, not when if I decide to have my own family um, in terms of having kids I, that's not a for sure thing obviously at this point um, I don't even know that if I'm going to want that or not. But if I do, it makes me think really long and hard about how I want my kids to be educated mm. because I see just how critical that is for mm-hmm. them, that they absolutely need to be prepared to be an adult and to know exactly kind of who they are and where they are um, mentally and sort of what they're capable of in a true way because if they're not, the consequences could be really severe because I'm living those consequences now. And it's yeah. taking me a long time to sort of like sort of reset my life in a way because I really just sort of left the world I was mm-hmm. like okay now that I've been like knocked down I'm You're I'm gonna isolate yeah. so I'm yeah so now I'm at this point where it's like I'm starting to reconnect and kind of get back into mm-hmm. the world of like actual you know other people because I had to sort of accept that I am who I am in terms of my mental ability whether it's good or bad or whatever and that's 
fine and have been prepared a certain way. So it makes me think if I ever have kids, like, I will be talking to them constantly. Like, all about that. I have friends back in Arizona who... things that I'm trying to, like, do with my children. I know they work through all the way, is enrollment in Montessori schools increasing, do you think, or is it... It depends on where It's hard to tell. What but exactly, like, does that mean? If you yeah, to, what like, is sum that? that up I in an elevator that pitch, is. like, what would There that? you go. Montessori? Okay, let's see. Because I've been it's curious lately. kind of like all the things you said, in a way. Like, the, the whole person. Okay. You know, so independence through all stages of life. Um, everyone goes at their own pace. So there is no, like, behind or ahead. It's just if you're here in math, you're here. If you're here in language, and you wanted them to, you know, learn to read and learn to do all these things at some point. So you're always giving them these things. But you don't really, it's not like everyone's going all together. Everyone goes and learns at their own pace, just okay. like people you so do anyway. it's and not then necessarily it's divided like, by, like, grade or age? It's, it's in age groups. But it's mixed. So, like, I'm three to six. So the six-year-olds help the three-year-olds, and the three-year-olds see what awesome. the six-year-olds are doing. And then oh, there's... Wow, really cool. We want them to, like, really try things and feel like they enjoy challenging work, so then you have to have a friendliness with error. Like, if they make a mistake, it's just like, okay, let's do it again. Or, Instead oops, or just... Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, mistakes are okay. We never say no or that's wrong, but you'll point something out, and you'll... You know, you, so they learn to, like, kind of correct themselves be okay with making a mistake and then keep going and be curious and enjoy it and it's just pretty much you know everything that you could want it's bizarre to have in not your... everybody's doing Montessori yeah like, man, that's like a huge contrast to like all, yeah. all the other kids in the trenches you know mm-hmm. <laughs> take that test I think now education yeah. is yeah. realizing yeah. a lot of these concepts that Montessori figured out uh-huh. and they're trying to apply it but the problem is they're trying to um, apply these things to like the system that's already built. Yes. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of not work. That's what healthcare working. is like. So my, my background is in my graduate degrees in healthcare, um, healthcare delivery science, and that's exactly the issue. That it's the same story. Is we know what the right answer is. We know the right answer is single payer. And mm-hmm. I don't care what your political stance is. Mm-hmm. That's the way that yeah, like, economically. But of course, yeah, and that's not going to be possible with big pharma and the big sort of hospital systems that own the whole thing and the policymakers. Like they don't get it. So we know the right answer. It sounds like with education, Montessori. Again, know, we know the like right answer. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. It's already here. It, yeah. But I know, like some schools, there's Montessori charter schools because now people now think, oh, well, it's a private school. Montessori is like expensive, mm-hmm. which is true, unfortunately, a lot of the case. But there's also mm-hmm. becoming more Montessori charter schools oh, in cool. certain areas in. Um, one of those really cold north cities. I think it's Minnesota. There's like a Montessori public school, a public school system where the whole like really? primary level they're incorporating Montessori, like you know, trying to really get it out there for more kinds of people, so it's not just like the wealthy. Hopefully yeah, it, it catches fire and spreads. well, she started it with you know a slum in Rome, so it's like she started it for everybody. Wow. And now and you know that's how, what happens to private schools. In the US. Oh, so that's really interesting. Someday Savannah's going to open up a monastery. Yeah, can we school. have like a topic of like education? That'd be another good. That's one. another good one. Yeah. That that's one. cool. <laughs> yeah, I want to talk about that. Like this monastery school. I haven't heard of that. Uh, that's and really it's interesting. interesting because now it's more of a school for the elite. Yeah, that's what it is. And one of the difficulties with the young children is Savannah. How do you explain that? With you know how things are presented as special and wonderful. Well, they need it just as much as. Right. Anyone else. Right, but they perceive their perception. Well, you can see when they're when they have all these fancy toys and iPads and 
Uh. They're dragged around to all these activities at home, and then they come to school, and you have these wonderful like materials for them to work with. They're more like, eh. Uh, <laughs> you okay. have to try extra hard. To yeah, yeah, we're already moved to dang. You're spoiled, like, Come on. From, you need know, to a super poor <laughs> need up your TV game here at the school. Yeah, well, that's what happened yeah. in the first classroom. You know, she gave them these glass pitchers to pour water with, and they were like, you're giving me glass. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's so beautiful and so. That's cool. Yeah. So it started in the 1900s? Mm-hmm. 1907 was the first classroom. And she was a doctor first. And she actually worked at an asylum first before she had her first classroom. And she started incorporating things that like a physician would have, like mm. hand washing. And she just started incorporating more and more because she was like very scientific minded. And then in, she had the opportunity to have her own class, and pretty much they just wanted the doctor to take care of these kids while their parents were starting to go to work. So she just had this group of children, and she was like, well, if these other children I had, um, they called them idiots, which was a catch-all term for, like, mm-hmm. could have been dyslexia, could have been yeah. cerebral palsy, could have been, like, it was just, like, a whole host of yeah. things. The, but she got them learning to read, or not learning to read, but she got them to do a lot of the things that the normally developing children were doing. So when she had this group of normally developing children, she was like, hmm. So she started giving them all these things, and the children started, you know, really taking care of their environment and feeling independent. Mm. Like, you know that calm that comes with, like, when a child is calm, you can just, like, see it. They're, like, composed, yeah. you know, almost like an adult. You can feel it yeah. in yourself sometimes, that calmness, like, when mm-hmm. you're just feeling good like, like you, you did, know did what something. you're doing and you know yeah mm-hmm. and like so they learned to read which she didn't even really expect she just started showing them letters and doing this alphabet thing and like next thing she know these children are reading it and the heads of states are coming to see the children who can the four-year-olds who can read they were like amazed and is there like a cool like an evaluation like an outcome of like the like are the outcomes evaluated for like these students in Montessori? Like are the people who well now that we've got do research modern to make sure research, that it's they're trying to evaluate, and of course it's hard because it's so qualitative. To see the difference, but there are studies. Very qualitative. But qualitative can be researched still. I mean, yeah. we do qualitative research all the time in healthcare. And the research in my field especially is, you know, it's still kind of small, but it's still there, and it's it shows that it's good. Like it, the terms now, like executive function. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, do you know what that is? Yeah. It's like, uh, kind of like your ability to make reasoned choices and like conduct yourself yeah. and okay. not just like, you know, take the test, but to like, almost like, I don't know, like move and think at the same time. Mm-hmm. That's a horrible explanation. So maybe I suggest looking it up and getting better. <laughs> but like things like that, um, emotional intelligence, um, independence, um, confidence, as well as like math and reading skills. But mm-hmm. the Montessori schools do well. Well, I can say this yeah. way. So the primary class is ages three to six, and they all start at age three. Mm-hmm. So they start out as the newbie and end up as the, the elder in the classroom. Mm-hmm. So she's got 25 kids in the classroom. And she's spinning plates because they're all in different places, right? This one's getting this kind of lesson. This one's getting this kind of lesson. I work in the office. That's how we work together. And um, when cool. I have prospective parents come in, she was a student in her very class where she's teaching, by the way, when she was three years old. <laughs> when I have prospective parents come in and they look through the observation window in one of these windows, this is the reaction. Well, because when I, if you really? watch movies and yeah. you watch like daycares. Good surprise. Yeah. And, and then they get like, oh my God, you can't put my child in there. <laughs> because the children are calm, they're respectful. Again, well, there's 25 well, and children. And I think of like, you know, TV, the movies that show daycares where the children are just <laughs> yeah, running and nuts. Yeah. Yeah, 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 And then yeah. you look in this classroom and they're just working calmly. And, and she's, the, like, the teacher's like practically whispering to the child when she's giving a one-on-one lesson to them or, or saying very little. 
and this child's total focus is on this teacher's the lesson that she's given him because well you can explain it better but when the parents look at this they're like in a state of shock yeah they know it's something because their mind of education is like yeah and these yeah. children are, are respectful, and, yeah. grace and courtesy. You know, there's only one of everything in the classroom, so there's no arguments over. You gotta wait. So cool. it like, it's like it's inherent in the structure of it that you learn. You built like, in the, that real life. Okay, exactly. this whole idea of this, I wish I would have gone to a school like that exactly. because I felt like the transition would have been less. Oh like, my god! Oh, and it, I, it, I love, I love the social part that comes from yeah. it. Like every conflict that comes up, like they'll talk it out or they'll come to me and we'll talk it out and it's like mm. just that seeing that we're all people yeah it's kind of like if everyone grew up like that so respectful we Plus, have less problems so they're also spending that's amazing they're spending three years with the same teacher then yes that's awesome mm -hmm. i can think back to high school i had the same english teacher for three years straight and that was a huge like yeah. influence on me is being able to be with that same person mm -hmm. through a certain i mean that was one class but english was a really yeah. important class in college or in high school whether you like it or not and having that same person really developed me into the writer and speaker I am today. I mean, so, it's a shame. It just makes me like so mad that we, we just don't put money in our education system and stuff like that. It's insane. Oh, they put plenty of money in the well, wrong place. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody has Are people who have never been in the classroom? They're not teachers. Like, they don't yeah. Know yeah. What yeah. I don't know why they think they do. Well, we don't put the they necessary resources in the places we need. You know? Yeah. It's just like. It's just that we're just pumping these kids out. Just, just, yes. just go. Yep. You know, just, just, just faster. Just keep getting them out here. Don't care. Just, just pass the test. And keep it moving. Yeah. Keep the conveyor belt going. Really sad. And then, like you know, you have an educate. Do you have a population of a uh, people who just you know <laughs> who are all messed up in the heads one way or another, um, or you know they're just. Well, these math. parents are so. They haven't so, developed their analytical skills. They want skills, their five year old and their six year old to be reading. And, and, and they, they want their three year old to be reading. They want the, yeah, who am I kidding? They want the three year old. But so you're taking these children, they're leaving her classroom at age six, all right? Some of them are doing multiplication and division, okay? Mm. It's inherent, it just happens naturally in the Montessori yeah. classroom because. It's progressive and there's no beginning and end. And, and then you present yeah. it so when they're ready for it, so they keep loving it, and then they want they're oh. like excited for the next part. Yeah, so that the, makes but, sense. But the parents, that this is like their so goal in like sending right? them to Montessori. <laughs> and the thing that I tell her all the time, because not every kid's gonna turn out, you know, six years old doing multiplication yeah. and division. Most but if not anything else, these kids are coming out with. They're respectful of their, their peers. They're they and they care love themselves, about each right? Other. They love each other. Like the, again, I get the new parents. They're like, oh, you know, my kid. What, what's going to happen when my kid starts? You know, in the middle of November, when everybody started in August. I'll say, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. Those little four or five or six year olds who have been in that classroom for several years are going to say, This is what they do. Come, I'll show you where to put your jacket. Yeah, Aww. they help each this other. This is how they makes, talk wow. to each other. You know, I'll just, I can sit back Somebody's sometimes and watch them. Somebody's crying, and they'll out. go up to them and like, yeah. you know. <laughs> I mean, it's just unbelievable, and that why we're not doing this countrywide, worldwide is oh just makes me want to. Well, scream. I can commit if I have kids, they will be okay. in a Montessori <laughs> school because we that's awesome. Actually, I actually have a friend. I wish, like, one day I want to start my start a school in a place that doesn't have like yeah. a lot of other really yeah. good schools because I just feel like. I want everyone solve a lot to of problems downstream. Mm -hmm. We talk about that a lot in my my line of work, specifically in healthcare. It's not just healthcare in general, but I specifically look at, you know, differences in health among different populations. Why do black women? Why do we see higher rates of abortion in black women? Why do we see higher rates of heart disease and all kinds of diseases in in 
different races, whatever. And we talk about this idea of downstream versus upstream factors in education, especially at that young age, being three to six. What you're doing is giving those kids a oh much better opportunity and chance to just be happier, healthier, whatever and, and see, in the long that's term. That's the age that like people don't really like. People think these children are not educable until they're six. Yeah. They're yes. just kind of pre-human. Just kind of feeling but space. no, that's such a foundational time. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. when you build it's all of these the things, time. and then they come ready for like elementary and like. That's not the beginning, though. It's, yeah. There's so much. Well, tell me about, so when you entered public school, you were in, what, eighth grade? Mm-hmm. And she was like, okay, bring it on. <laughs> That's how her attitude was. Yeah. You know, and she was like, competition? Because you never had competition before then. Well, it wasn't like I was competing, but just everyone else was so, like, you know, I didn't really care if I got a 96 or a 97 if I understood what I got wrong, but the other children would be so concerned about the numbers oh, and the, yeah. there wasn't so much about really the understanding it and just it was not, to, not to say they all were yeah but it was almost it was almost like the environment made them act in a certain way you know like we're doomed man it's a freaking game <laughs> over man my, we're teaching all these kids the wrong way it's game over such a shenanigans it's 10 o'clock my high school had such problems with cheating and it was yeah, so did we because they were caring about they the number, so the grade. It was crazy and it was almost like, like I would never cheat, and I thought that was like terrible and unfair. But then I almost felt bad for them because they were being pushed so hard by their parents to like be the best and get the top and get in the best college that they weren't must have been experiencing like so much stress that would make them form like these groups of like cheating, you know, strategies. And it was just really, like, yeah, yeah. It was dang. <laughs> and your person who's supposed to meet us got there like. Nine. Who was the other place at yeah. nine? Really? Yeah, she was like, oh, the lights are. I sent her a message saying, hey, you want to come up to Medlock Tavern? But she was like, I got there at nine o'clock. And at nine o'clock? But weren't there like multiple things in the. Yeah. yeah. People don't be looking at this, man. That's People don't the, look at the, it. Um, but, well, this uh, is fun. I had such a good time. No, this was a good, co- this was a good conversation, man. We talked about a whole bunch of Four people. Stuff. Wow. <laughs> Has yeah. it ever been any less? Yeah, yeah. I did it with one other person before. <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah. Nice we just had a good, you know, good conversation. Uh, yeah, we were talking, what did we talk about there? It was me and um, Ivan, we were talking about our conspiracies, like aliens and <laughs> shit like that. Oh, <laughs> well, that but, could uh, be another fun topic. Like yeah, yeah, that, that, that'll, that'll get fun. Or just the, like, concept of conspiracy theories as a yeah. concept, not necessarily <laughs> specific yeah. ones. So <laughs> I know that um, ones, we're moving into, like, holiday season. I pr- probably when, um, oh, like, God. November hits or so, uh, I'm, pr- I'm not going to schedule anything for December. In like end of November, just because that's you know people are going people are doing the yeah, holiday stuff and like that. I'm not even going to try. Um, so our last meeting will probably be like the middle of November, like you know before Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving hits, okay. and then um, you know come around after in January or so, I'll start posting some more. So you know we have uh, through October. Okay, I was gonna say, wait, isn't there time We're before Thanksgiving? Yeah, yeah, I'm just saying now. I'm just letting you know now that, um, yeah, that most likely, uh, yeah, once November hits, it's gonna dry up. Okay. But uh, but yeah. 20s. So next, I don't even know what the next topic is gonna be. I put out there, um, will the United States need a national basic income? But I just that was just off the top of my That's head. A good I may change it. What do you bring dad uh, national basic uh, income? Uh, my husband go wild yeah. over that. That's like in the line of single payer. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I mean, maybe we can do that. Um, it's gonna be at seven again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, seven, seven on Tuesdays. No, it's just that I'm flying. I'm going to DC next week to visit my best friend, and I come back that day. Was it two? Hey, weeks man, from don't now? rush it. But yeah, it's two weeks from now. I think I'll be back by like. 
two o'clock. Yeah, if you can so. make it, definitely come out. If you I can't, like you know. I like this place better. Too. I yeah, do like too. this place in Dagwoods. I just switched it up because you know we've been coming here, but I don't know. We can just keep doing it here. Is this place I mean, usually kind of empty? Yeah, this place this, is yeah. empty. This place is. It just feels and, uh, less crowded and dark, and it's yeah. you don't know the audio else. sounds a lot better here. <laughs> to, uh, so much better here than over at Dagwoods, and. Um, um, oh, I'll also be doing another podcast um, with some people on my social media, too. So um, that should be posted when I do that at the end of October. And I don't know what we're going to talk about. But uh, they're just people I know from college days and some people I know from random places. Because uh, my Facebook feed, I have people who like random people from like Africa and crap like that who like talk with me, you know, something like that. I think, okay, <laughs> that's cool. Let's go ahead and put them on the podcast yeah. and talk about like, hey, what are, what are you guys doing out there, you know? That's social media How you been? So, um... I'll also be doing well, that. I didn't even pay for my beer. Did you pay? Did no, she 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 had a, she hasn't came back once. <laughs> oh yeah, right. she just like she served and dipped. And I don't know uh, if she's, she's probably still here. Again. She's probably out there, maybe cleaning up. Did you pay up there? But uh, I guess you can ask this guy. Or yeah, I wouldn't even thought about Gosh, that. Gosh, I would have forgot. <laughs> and then got home, like, oh crap, I stole, <laughs> I stole that. <laughs> and then we all so we bad. all come back next time, and they're like, what are you doing here? You show your You're face after yeah. all of you steal. So yeah, I don't know. I mean, I may change it. I may add something more to this topic, but we'll go ahead and see for next oh, yeah, time. Yeah, we'll, we'll have to see whatever the the double part could be just yeah. based on what's going. Yeah, on. Yeah, what's going on? Hopefully, there's something juicy in the news. You know, I don't know. Maybe we'll go to North Korea. I don't doubt that there won't be. I don't either. Too many negatives. We can talk about that. Yeah, who knows? I don't but, know what I would want to say about it. I know. What is there even to say anymore? It's like, because back and forth. It'll be interesting if it happened. What's it? We went to like North, North Korea. Korea. Just just back and we forth actually declared, we just actually went. Like, you know what? We're going all in. It's going to actually happen. Yeah. Yeah. No, he's going to send her. Oh, I'm tired. Don't make me wish I stole it. Hurry up. <laughs> all right. Yeah. Bye. We'll see you later, folks. Bye. That's it. Say goodbye. Bye. Say goodbye. Bye. Bye. There we go. Bye. Yeah. And that's that, folks. Man, one thing I need to do is take a breather in these podcasts and um, give people a chance to go ahead and finish uh, their thought. I get so excited in presenting um, this idea I have. (laughs) Most of the time, I don't have the idea completely formulated in my head. I just want to go ahead and start going. So I start talking and then um, I start stuttering and whatnot. So I don't even know what I want to say. But uh, either way, that was our podcast session on The Modern Family. I hope that you guys enjoyed it. Like I said, I have another one in the queue. And um, the next one, we go ahead and talk about the NFL protests. We talk about um, good old Kim Jong-un and uh, our uh, best friend Donald Trump. And we talk about a whole bunch of other topics. Uh, Universal basic income. We talk about the public education system once again and get a little bit more detail on Montessori education and the next podcast we have about five or six people around the table and uh, we had some very very uh, unique and differing opinions and uh, you know it was a little feisty here and there but I liked it because everybody was passionate about what they had to go ahead and discuss and contribute to the conversation and the exchange at hand So, I'll be posting that one soon, and I hope that you guys tune in. Till next time, this is Brent. See you later.